Hey, podcast listeners. This is a discussion between myself, TK Coleman, Steve Patterson, and Derek McGill, all of whom have been previous guests, TK, several times on this podcast. This is a discussion about Bitcoin. And we started flipping on the camera because we were always talking about this stuff privately, flipping on the camera and every couple of weeks doing these discussions just on Zoom and posting them up to YouTube for fun. And uh, they actually got a lot of traction, got a lot of views, a lot of interest. Several people asked me to put it in podcast format. Rather than spin up a new podcast, I decided to just post them right here on the feed for the uh, recently dormant Isaac Morehouse podcast. So what follows is a completely unedited, unfiltered discussion. You can also find it on YouTube if you want to see our wonderful faces between me, Steve Patterson, Derek McGill, TK Coleman on Bitcoin and Bitcoin related stuff. If you're not at all interested or familiar with crypto, there's some stuff that might be a little technical or a little inside baseball that might go over your head. But if I do say so, it's a pretty fun discussion anyway, and you might learn some things. Thanks. Gentlemen, it's good to be back. Special quarantine edition of uh, conversations about big block Bitcoin. And uh, I got to start, TK. I got to ask you a burning question that I know you've been asked by a lot of BSV podcasters. How can you possibly stand to be in the presence of me and Derek and Steve? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, check this out. I'm playing around with these virtual backgrounds. You have Craig in the back. Is that, is that Craig? Craig? Right? <laughs> <laughs> nice. TK sent me an ap- apology hand cash tip after my last uh, after my last uh, interview. I was like, oh, "I'm sorry, you had to put up with that." <laughs> Look, I've got the John McAfee background. I can't tell you where it is, but it's more exciting than wherever you are. <laughs> yeah, I'm just out in the grass. <laughs> so, uh, TK, yeah, so seriously, though, you how do you put up with us? We're, we're not pure, you know. <laughs> well, and, 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 and well, I was gonna last time too. I wore a, B, a B, BCH shirt, which apparently is an endorsement of child pornography. So I, <laughs> I'm actually a criminal too. Hey, I, I, I love how you guys just can't get any love from anywhere. It's like, man, like like somebody just needs to claim victory here on the BCH side. They're always complaining about how good you guys make BSB look, but you can't get any credit for that. You can't even get credit for being like BSV spies. Well, the, the BSV people will, will publicly post comments and stuff. They're like, hey, that was a good discussion. Like, they're pretty nice, like at least compared, not all of them. Some of them are like, Roger is a criminal and you defended him or whatever. But compared to the BCH people, and, you know, we've all become probably more friendly towards the BSV roadmap, so that makes sense. But what's funny is they will all, like, in secret, be like, we'll go to you and be like, Hey man, like these guys almost see the light, but how come they don't like fully see the light? Like, <laughs> like, I don't know what we're supposed to do to, to be, I don't know, part of that. We have to start saying, we have to start change our Twitter picture to a picture of Craig Wright. And then we're, we're in. Uh, you, gotta, you gotta stand in solidarity, man. Yeah. So we keep alluding to in previous discussions that we're going to just banter about various crypto conspiracy theories. And I mean, there's so many and like, some percentage of them are bound to be true. Uh, and there's just so many fun and entertaining ones. So I want to just start off with some, some crazy speculation and, and theorizing on what, 
what possible strangeness could be going on in the world of, of crypto. And I was thinking, uh, TK, you might have mentioned something that implied this or said it, but to start with, do you think that this Ira Kleiman suing Craig Wright for this money that's in some trust somewhere, um, do you think that somebody, that, that Ira just on his own was like, you know what, my brother Dave was involved with this Craig Wright guy and Craig came and offered to pay me some money and I think he's short shifted me and I want, to, I want more money. Or do you think somebody went to Ira and was like, hey, we're going to back you. We need you to sue Craig Wright because they were worried that Craig was going to get access to some trust and sell his BTC and tank the market. Is this being orchestrated by someone other than Ira himself? That's the first question. Yeah. So, so one quick prefacing comment for most of the opinions, unless I state otherwise on, on this topic, like as we talk about conspiracies and just so I can relax, have fun, not issue out a whole bunch of disclaimers. I'll talk about these things in terms of like suspicions. Cause a lot of this stuff, I just don't know, but, but I'm also not one of those guys that's like, we'll never know. So it's not fun to talk about. It's still fun to like speculate about conspiracies, but I have no clue what's going on with this court case, but yeah, this is an utterly irresponsible speculative discussion. So you can't hold any of us to any of these. (laughs) Yeah. Especially Derek said, it it is utterly, don't sue me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, do the Stephen A. Smith. There is no way to prove any of this, and I don't stand by any of it. However, would that have been said? I would never, under any circumstance, imply that a good man like Ira would dare conspire against Craig Wright. But with that having been said, it's utterly ridiculous that he would take him to court thinking that he created, thinking that he had something to do with Bitcoin. Um, look, man, no, I don't think he's acted solo because when you look at those emails, it starts off with just seeming like he's just trying to, you know, loop him in, make sure he's aware of things. And Ira just has this element of suspicion. Like, what are you keeping from me? What are you hiding from me? And you see that pretty early on. And I guess that could be chalked up to his personality. But um, I, I just think Craig has enemies, man. He's just got way too many enemies for this to just be a matter of all he has to do is stick to the technical roadmap and everything's going to be fine. I believe there's a lot of people behind the scenes coming up against them. And I definitely believe that Ira is being helped out. If people have already gone public saying, oh, we'll finance the court case for Peter or for uh, Holonat or whatever, why not? So, so, cause you know, Craig made this claim that at one of the happenings, of course it could be any of them at any distance in the future, um, which is a nice way to, you know, keep your predictions broad enough that he's going to do this rolling iceberg. He's going to sell all of his BTC and all this stuff. And, you know, I had, I had made some joke like, yeah, it's, you know, just another one of those promises that like sounds really fun and exciting, but we're probably not going to see anything. And TK, you you said something about like, it's the court case. And that's when I thought like, okay, interesting. If, if Craig's like, hey, I'm going to do this, even if some, even if a, pro, a bunch of pro BTC people, even if they don't know for sure whether he's telling the truth about having access to this Tulip Trust, if they think there's any, a chance, a decent chance that he does, getting a court case to happen before January 2020, when those whatever courier is supposed to arrive, getting him tangled up in a lawsuit over the contents of that Tulip Trust would be a potential way to prevent or stall him making a big sell-off like that. And so like, even if you're not sure if it's true, that might be a prudent strategy. Like who knows if Craig actually has access and all this stuff. But if, if you were like, Hey, if I got pretty deep pockets and I got a lot to lose, if some, if Satoshi moves all of his bitcoins or the, the Satoshi coins get moved, 
uh, it would make sense to try to get Ira to get him tangled up in a lawsuit over, uh, over the content so that he can't move any of them for a while. Steve, Derek, thoughts? Yeah, I'll take the, the uh, contrary conspiracy, which is that this could be coordinated by Craig's team to give some credibility to him as, and I don't know, but um, it might be that, you know, the ultimate resolution of this court case is they settle out of court because some secret information was shared. And then the net result of the court case is simply a huge amount of exposure for Craig and seeming legitimacy to his claims because why would he go through all of these lengths if he was just a con man, that type of thing. I, I consider that a real possibility still. I mean, the uh, the media spin that has been on the court case by the Craig people is is sometimes like so over the top, you, you almost assume that they're liking this lawsuit or something because when it's like, oh, oh, uh, the judge asked... Uh, do you think he's Satoshi Nakamoto to the uh, to the you know prosecution team or whatever? And they're like, they're like, yeah. They're like, do you have any other things to say or something? Like, no, we we rest. And then they use that as evidence, like the judge himself declaring in court that Craig is Satoshi. <laughs> it's like, no, like all it is is you're recognizing that the people who are suing you that you're Satoshi. That's like a completely separate issue than the judge ruling that you're Satoshi. Um, and uh, these kind of spins over and over and over again, you know, reveal something to me, maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I got a question for you guys. I don't know a lot about, about law, which I shouldn't be saying as a supporter of BSB. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Satoshi, Satoshi said he wasn't a lawyer. So Satoshi said, I couldn't possibly answer legal questions. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> All right. So here's something that's super weird about this court case to me. How is it that one person can sue another person for a lot of money and intellectual property? Say, my brother helped him invent this thing and he's trying to screw my brother out of it. And the judge doesn't require any evidence at all that that Craig is Satoshi. That the judge is just cool to be like, hey, do you agree that you're Satoshi? And do you agree that he's Satoshi? All right, cool. Let's proceed on that basis. I mean... Is, would it be possible, like, if, if I wanted to sue Isaac for, like, a billion dollars because I said, like, he created a time machine or something, or he created Amazon, <laughs> like, could, could, or, or Isaac created Bitcoin, could we actually get that far by the judge saying, Isaac, did you create it? And he goes, yeah, and then, and then we just both agree that he created it? Like, hey, man, we should, we should try and see what happens, <laughs> you know? Uh, no, okay, so I, I don't know all the details, and I'm not a, a lawyer either, but it doesn't sound that crazy to me if, if you sued me and said... Isaac has this trust and he, you know, the Morehouse Coleman trust that he set up with my brother and it's got a whole bunch of assets in it and I'm entitled to half of those assets. And we, and I say, no, you're not entitled to half of those assets. I already gave you what you're entitled to. The rest are mine. Now the judge doesn't have to know, maybe there's nothing in there, but whatever is in there, you get half of it. That's what the judge is deciding. Do you get half of whatever's inside that trust or not? What, what's actually there, if anything, doesn't necessarily have to affect the case, I don't think. Yeah, yeah that, that's how, when I've read the court cases too, it seems like the judge is still <laughs> deliberating on whether the trust even exists or not. And so... Well, like isn't there like a trust within a trust within a trust? 
<laughs> well, like yeah, it's really hard to follow now. It's like a Russian doll or something like that. I mean, but that, like that's Craig actually, doesn't have any control over it in the. But first that's not place. abnormal. I mean, like people, I see a lot of people on crypto Twitter like scoffing at that. And oh, 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 it's like, well, you know, actually, when you're dealing with that large amount of money, those kind of things are are kind of par for the course. To have uh, multiple entities wrapped up in other entities and things that are outside of your control. I mean, that, that's pretty common. Yeah, like to that, reduce liability and increase security and all kinds of, yeah. Yeah, like, like they say, oh, that's crazy. I'm like, uh, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, there are other things that sound totally crazy, but that's not Pe- one of them. People who, some of the same people that say that would be a crazy idea to go to such lengths to protect billions of dollars are the same ones that are like, hey, you should spend 17 hours setting up a node at home so you can send five cents over the Lightning Network. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and from the documents that I've read from the court case, it seems like the judge is implying that uh, he doesn't think that the Tulip Trust exists and he doesn't think correct right is Satoshi. Like there are little caveats where he's like, you know, he essentially says as much. I, I, uh, I, I won't be able to give them justice. Yeah. But yeah. He, 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 if you read it, it's as, it's what you would expect from somebody in a, in position of legal authority uh, to say if they were trying to imply they didn't even believe the premises of the case, but couldn't come out and just say it directly. It's like they're being cautious, but like saying, hey, read between that. I don't even grant these initial premises. So, yeah, so but, would, would that go against your theory? Because it looks like this is making Craig look bad more than it's making him look good, at least in the eyes of like the outsiders, right? I th- no, I think in the eyes of people who are going to dig into the case, it might make him look bad. But for the general public, no, I don't think it makes him look bad. I think well, it, and it, it gives it a massive amount of credibility. Think, oh, yeah, yeah there's, you know about that big lawsuit going on in Florida. Yeah, the guy who claims to be Satoshi. But I got to really dig into the court details. I mean, getting sued for $5 billion just looks so like, like if, if you... That kind of those kind you of look like a baller. That, That's why I want you to yeah, sue you me just for look five like a billion dollars, TK. Like even if you don't have it, you suddenly look you suddenly look really legit, um, and, and that could be that could be part of it. Um, to, in, in my mind, TK, if, if when, that was the, the theory. When we founded Praxis, I cut you out of the multi-billion-dollar holdings that <laughs> that we amassed <laughs> as part of it. So I fully expect you to sue. So what's the deal with the uh, – I can't remember even now what it is. Somebody in the in the case, is it the judge, was like part of one of the Jeffrey Epstein cases? The judge, Ryan Hart. Is this a coincidence the- or is there like some dark underbelly going on? Well, there do seem to be Epstein connections to MIT Lab, which had connections to Lightning Network. Um, I, I haven't read enough into it. I mean, it, and, and the judge at one point, the judge or, or, or Epstein, I think it was the judge said at one point, like something about how Bitcoin is for hodling or something like that. There's a quote somewhere where the judge had, had given a very kind of core like opinion, not just like years ago. So how, um, so, so how was this judge? This just happens to be the judge over that district in Florida where Ira Kleiman lives. What well, Epstein was in Florida? Were they, like, they judge shopping? Epstein was in Florida, wasn't he? Didn't he live in? Because he he would like go to like Mar. Yeah, his 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 court one of his court cases one of the times he got sued was was in Florida and he had like a home in Florida, I think. Uh, so yeah, maybe it's just a maybe it's just a coincidence that you know the legal system. So, whatever. 
so Kleiman's lawyers wrote, it's like Roche Freedom or something like that. Um, uh, they are now suing a bunch of other companies, like ICO companies and stuff like that. Um, so I'm wondering like what their angle is too, because they're do, actually doing a lot of things that, that Craig used to think is good. Like, uh, so they're, they're, I think they're suing Binance now and they're suing um, uh, Ripple, I think maybe. And I don't know if it's Ripple, several of the ICO companies. Like there's like 11 lawsuits that have been filed now. So, so, do you, so it, could that be like a BTC maximalist funded law firm going out and trying to smash all the altcoins? I wouldn't put it past BTC for doing that. I mean, they have, you know, it's funny about some of the BSB people putting lawsuits. It's like, we all criticize that stuff when the core people supported that stuff because core was doing, you know, insane stuff, uh, or trying to do at least insane stuff, uh, both legally and also just like, uh, stuff on like Bitcoin.com wallet, for example, leaving a bunch of stuff. And, um, trying to get like a class action suit against bitcoin.com and claiming they had all this like funds raised and stuff like that turned out to be bogus. <laughs> I don't know. So, all right, let's change topics. Derek, we're going to start with you on this one. Is Mike Hearn Satoshi? Oh God. Um, because look, I'll, I'll frame it up. This is a, I'm not asking this out of the clear blue. I'm going to give no, some. I'm, I'm sitting in the clear blue here. Uh, Derek has done some of the amazing Derek McGill special deep archival research and has just been sharing in dribs and drabs with us all these things written by Mike Hearn over the years, going way back. And it is uncanny how much the things Craig Wright is currently saying sound word for word like things that only Mike Hearn and nobody else really in the Bitcoin world was saying way back in the day. Uh, not even Satoshi was saying some of the same stuff about yep. the legal stuff. About so, like It's kind of crazy. And it's like either, either Craig is just studying Mike Hearn stuff and repeating it or... I don't know. Mike Hearn and Craig were both part of the Satoshi team. I don't know. What, what's going on here? Is Mike, is there more yeah. to Mike than meets the eye? <clears throat> there could be. I mean, he was like 20 at the time of the creation of Bitcoin, which, uh, did I get, did I, sorry, he was like 26 at the time of the creation of Bitcoin. So that would seem to me unlikely that he would have been the guy, but there are, there are some interesting connections that are shared. Um, so, so first off, the domain that Satoshi used the main service that you used to register bitcoin.org was i guess owned by a guy named michael weber who was this guy who at least lived in switzerland and his ad was actually the original address that was i think registered to bitcoin.org if you look like the who is domain information it was an address in tokyo it was like sakura house tokyo or something like that and michael weber like dropped off the face of the earth he's like just like a ghost I haven't been able to find any info besides like one or two photos of him. And um, Mike Kern was living in Switzerland at the time too, as, 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 as Michael, Michael Weber was. The other thing is Satoshi GMX, the Satoshi had GMX email address. GMX is a Swiss, uh, uh, I think it was a Swiss email service provider, which I thought was interesting too. Uh, just small, you know, connections i mean you know who the hell knows but yeah the thing that that when i started looking at these archives from mike hearn 
And I started seeing Mike Hearn talking about coin freezing and describing the exact same, basically the exact same mechanism Craig has tried to describe, um, using the miners to, to actually freeze coins. We're talking about um, how Bitcoin can be used for decentralized crime fighting um, and how the, the potential merits of traceability and to not you know, uh, uh, be anti-law necessarily. Um, well, one, Mike describes that stuff in a much better way that Craig does because it comes without all of the, you know, you're going to tie jail and we're going to like ask you um, or we're going to throw it. Like he, Mike very much says, I don't necessarily agree with most of these laws, but they exist and we shouldn't try to, we shouldn't try to necessarily work around all of them right now. Um, and Mike was talking about how the original Bitcoin design is legal compliant. He like specifically talked about that. And so I'm, I'm including either... Either Craig is like plagiarizing Mike or Mike and Craig were in touch a lot earlier than we thought, or Craig is Satoshi and Mike learned all of this from Satoshi and not in public, just because Mike had communications with Satoshi and I don't think he's released all of the emails he had. Um, I don't know which one's, I don't know which one's the most likely. I mean, there's, there's almost no way I can conclude that they're not connected, like, that Mike either didn't learn from Craig or or from whoever Satoshi was and Craig was involved, or that Craig is plagiarizing, plagiarizing Mike. You think, so you think Craig and Mike Hearn have a relationship in the past and maybe, maybe still do, maybe are still communicating. You think that's, well, that's plausible? That's, that's one thing. Mike said I had dinner with Craig once and I'll, I was an interesting, it was interesting. I won't share what I think or whatever. Um, so I don't, I don't know what that means, but it's just hard to read those things. I've shared some of them with that. Like, there's no way to me that that because that, that that Craig is not involved in that in some way. Whether again, either he had a relationship with Mike in some way, or he was plagiarizing. I don't know. I mean, one thing that I've I found recently, which I, I was kind of shocked to find, um, was that like in January 10th, like or January was it January 10th that the Bitcoin? No, January 3rd, Bitcoin was was launched. I think right. January 3rd, 2009, I think. Uh, I think it was around that, yeah, it was around that time. It was like the day after Satoshi posted on the email list, uh, the, the cryptography mailing list. Um, who gets mentioned? Dave Kleiman and Craig Wright. Like, out of the blue, get mentioned in a thread, like, immediately the Bitcoin one. It has nothing to do with that, but that really to me that's really odd that 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 happened like if those two guys who weren't mentioned that much on the on the cryptography mailing list at all were suddenly randomly mentioned right after bitcoin was launched like in the email immediately following the uh bitcoin announcement um and it was nothing related to it it was about something they were doing with like security auditing or something like that um so steve you, you've dived pretty deeply into this, especially the, the Phil Wilson story, which mm -hmm. truly probably fits the most pieces of the puzzle together, even though on the other hand, it's like the most outlandish. Mm. <laughs> what, what do you think of the Mike Hearn connection? Did Phil mention anything about Mike Hearn at all? Do you see anything here in the Satoshi origin that might involve him more than what's sort of commonly known? Um, off the top of my head, I don't recall Phil talking about Mike, but, um, he does say, you know, there was the inner Satoshi circle and several outer Satoshi circles, and it wouldn't surprise me if Mike was a part of that. And I mean, from trying to analyze Mike's ideas, I think he's 
arguably got the best ideas in big block Bitcoin. Gavin Andreessen was there as well. Yeah, Those are both I, I agree. People. Mike just yeah. makes sense <laughs> all the time. And maybe he does. And maybe we should have been paying attention that he left. <laughs> yeah, he had a bunch of good ideas. He actually has a background as specifically like as a capacity engineer for Google. Um, he pissed off all the right people, right? The 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 academic know-nothings who said, I can't scale because blah, 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 crappy reasons. He's like, no, of course it could scale. It's actually pretty straightforward. Um, so I like the idea that... Uh, Mike was tightly involved just because of his, uh, his high-quality ideas. Yeah, I mean, if, if, to me, if, if Craig is plagiarizing Satoshi, that, or sorry, if Craig is plagiarizing Mike, uh, that would actually make me even maybe more excited about BSV. <laughs> like I think I've mentioned in our, in our <laughs> yeah. private chats, like, like, oh, good, okay, someone's, someone's <laughs> what, like, like, I'm not saying that's what's happening, I mean, you know, but, but if, that, if that were, in theory, happening, that would make me almost more excited because I think more people should listen to Mike. Yeah. Nobody's willing to listen to Mike besides a like crazy sort of Australian guy. If he's the only one who's willing to listen to Mike, you know, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like in theory there would be a better front man for something, right? I mean, um, or, but then if if no one is willing to listen to Mike, and the only person who's willing to listen to him is is Craig, then Craig would like win by default or something like that. Well, that's what's so funny. Uh, I mentioned in our in our chat earlier. Yeah, because somebody just posted yet yet another Medium article with all these, or maybe I don't know if it was new or if this is an old one, but all these examples of um, like. Pretty, pretty obvious, hard to deny plagiarism in some dissertation that Craig Wright had done or whatever. And I just, I'm thinking, well, you know, uh, he's maybe he's plagiarizing all kinds of people, but if he's plagiarizing the best ideas, like how, how is it that this kind of crazy guy who seems to be obviously a plagiarizer, exaggerator at the least, uh, probably told many untruths that seem pretty, pretty apparent. How is it that his, the version of Bitcoin that he's advocating is like the best one out there? I mean, it, it just is. It makes sense that the strategy is better, the technology is better, the, the approach is better. Whether he's crazy or not, it's like, well, shame on everybody else. You can mock them all you want. How come you can't just build a better version of crypto? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, I want to loop in the, uh, the, the Phil angle here. So a uh, lot, lot to be said about Phil's story, but I think it Phil, actually- Phil's a hard guy of, to explain. Like it'd be, a, it'd be a pretty hard job to put in that much time to tell a completely made up tale. Yeah. And for people who don't know, um, just Google Bitcoin origins story and uh, it's I think vu.hn.com and it, it's so just, no, just, just vu.hn, no.com. Oh, right. That, right, right, right. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, so it's this long fan fiction story. Let, let's just think of it in that context, which uh, tells the story of how Bitcoin might have been created and like how the conceptual breakthroughs might have taken place. And I find it uh, pers persuasive for a lot of reasons. Um, but one of them is that I think it's the best explanation of Craig Wright that I've come across, which is that, you know, he, he, if he was involved, uh, at the beginning, his role was the, the researcher did who maybe looked, uh, 
a deep conceptual understanding of the ideas that he was researching. He was, I think Phil calls him a gopher or something where he, where he he's, Phil says he's like the best researcher he's ever met. He would just have a mountain of resources that uh, he could share with and, you. About and like an encyclopedic topic. knowledge, being able to mention papers and studies right. and concepts, the way, and that, which is how he Dave, talks in his, in his talks. It's like, he'll just drop all these names way back in the nineties. This person found this and this person right. like, He's clearly got all these facts. So Dave said that too. If you go look through the SEC list archive, 2007, Dave was thanking Craig on an email thread for basically was just saying, yeah, I, I, if I, if I ask Craig for a recipe for like, I, I don't know. I, guess like, I think it was like, if I asked Craig for a recipe for cookies or something like that, he'll come back with like, like the, the encyclopedia of cookies that he's put together of information <laughs> And he's like, you're like a, a, a genius. Yeah. And he probably couldn't make it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is that, that's the piece of the puzzle that I actually find really persuasive because I've heard several stories now of people talking about their technical conversations uh, with their observations with Craig and people respect. And then they say a lot of it just straight up doesn't check out. Like, and sometimes it's elementary errors, uh, which is, which is, a, which is such a, a crazy story, right? Phil is, is saying Crow was part of the Satoshi team and kind of was the original driving force behind it and has, can share all of these uh, past resources and yet makes basic conceptual blunders. Just from a pure storytelling perspective, that's an interesting thing to claim. I remember there's one right, where he says, uh, this, is, this is a low enough level that I understand it, um, He's talking about public and private key pairs. And uh, this is like an elementary concept in understanding the mechanics. And Craig apparently was still struggling to grasp public-private uh, key pairs and the fact that you're supposed to keep the private key private in the context of Bitcoin, which would be a, a very elementary error. So if that's true, there's a lot of people the, like friend who are going to say it is therefore impossible that Craig Wright was part of well, had anything to do with the creation of Bitcoin if you make such basic conceptual blunders. But that's totally wrong. I mean, it's entirely plausible that somebody who's highly uh, motivated, who has a particular mind that thinks a particular way, could assemble a group together, could have a massive amount of research, and ultimately not really understand the concepts of what he's talking about. And so, to answer your question, perhaps the reason why these uh, looks like they have the, uh, a, a better protocol right now is because of the plagiarism aspect. He's assembled enough and kind of put it out there, even though he himself doesn't understand it, uh, potentially. He might be the guy that essentially has allowed other people um, to do the technical work and put a high-functioning protocol in place. You know, it's funny. I, I used to work uh, at some like libertarian, classical liberal nonprofits and be around a lot of academics and educational programs and conferences and it, you know, steeped in the classical liberal tradition. And occasionally you would meet somebody, some grad student or whatever, who had been to all the conferences and studied all the stuff and who was amazing at like, hey, uh, you, know, volu- um, you know, free market alternatives to, uh, to government, you know, poverty programs. And they would go and put together the greatest bibliography you've ever seen. And they could name drop everything that had ever been written on this by, you know, uh, by whatever, Robert Nozick and all, you know, whoever else, like, you know, Spencer Heath and all these people you've never heard of. And they put together this amazing thing and they had this ability to like 
know, to go and find the research, find the people who had talked about this stuff, to know the names, to drop them, to know the concepts, to drop them, but like didn't understand the ideas in a practical applied way at all and could just as easily be like doing this for something else. And so the ability to like go out and find and, and like collate and get all, bring all this ideas and research together and be kind of ADD about it and whatever. I, I can totally see somebody being able to do that without necessarily understanding how it all works in practice. Uh, and that's kind yeah, of, yeah. And, and if they have the ability to assemble a team, right. So in, in Phil's story, he talks about how he was on, I don't know, IRC listening to people talk about this crypto project. He was interested in it, but uh, he looked at it and, and thought what Craig was going to do was guaranteed to fail. And so he went away, but then kept thinking about it and came back. So it's, it's possible that Craig, I mean, Craig clearly has the ability to bring together technically people around him. Right? And the like an apparent, like endless and, and amount of trust him. Yeah. And an endless amount of, of energy, like, um, you know, Phil in Phil's story, which Steve does this amazing, uh, like seven hour long podcast interview with him. Well, I don't know if I'd call it amazing, but it is seven hours long. Well, it's amazing if like, if you're interested in this Bitcoin stuff, just get into it. And listen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. In, in my defense, right. So I, I, a little backstory on that. Um, I did this, I did two interviews with this Phil Wilson guy because I found a story interesting actually because Isaac, inspired me. I got Remember this, Isaac? You, we were talking. And you said, "Oh yeah, I sent a, a Reddit message to this uh, Phil guy yeah. to Scranti." Every every time was, I suspect somebody might be Satoshi, I just message them directly and and ask yeah. them. Uh, and they always respond. By the way, I've done this like four different people. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh damn, that's a really good idea." So I messaged him, and oh, we got along. And so I did uh, these two interviews with him. The plan was to edit them. Down because he's not particularly great with the spoken word, let's say. Um, he's, he's hard to understand. Um, so I intended to bring, I have like seven hours of footage. I intend to get that down to like, I don't know, three hours, something like that. But as uh, I had all this footage I was sitting on and then the BSV BCH split was happening. And there, we were having a fracture in the big block Bitcoin community. A lot of people were following down the Craig Wright road versus the kind of Roger Beer road. I was like, okay, well, this is relevant enough information that I just have to dump it all out there at once, uh, slog seven hours um, so they could try to make up their minds. In my defense, if anybody's like, why the hell is this unedited? That's the reason. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but the, the thing I found so fascinating was <clears throat> as Phil is kind of, alternating between, you know, he compliments Craig's research abilities, but he's kind of, you know, insulting Craig and, and saying, eh, Craig, blah, blah, blah. it was, it was really my idea and whatever. And, and, you know, may or may not be true, but yet he says many times that Phil himself, he was kind of like, yeah, just like ready to give up and did quit several times. And Craig was like, so obsessed with driving this thing forward you know, he was so self-interested in making this happen that he was the actual driving force. Even so Phil, Phil thinks that Craig is not very competent at the technical stuff and that it wasn't really his idea uh, and that he's made all these blunders, but also that Craig is the one who was the driving force that made it happen because he wanted to, I don't know, make money off of it or whatever else, which I find interesting. Well, at least initially he was the driving force. So like maybe historically, it's a plausible story that you could say Craig Wright was likely trying to create digital money for like decades. Yeah, that, that might actually, that, that at least seems like a very plausible story. But in, but in his narrative, uh, 
he, he was barking up the wrong tree. And so he left and then came back and then proposed Craig and Dave work with Phil on Phil's new project that was going to be digital money. And apparently they didn't like that idea, but they'd come around. And another interesting fact is that uh, Phil is not, unlike Craig, Phil isn't in the public spotlight at all. Like he doesn't seem to be trying to raise money or collaborate with anybody publicly at all. He just put this idea out there. Well, this is maybe how the conceptual uh, uh, history of the development of Bitcoin went. And then he kind of is weird and disappeared, which also is interesting trying to explain uh, his motives here. Like I, I think he, has, he hasn't partnered up with a billionaire, gotten involved in a bunch of lawsuits. Yeah, maybe this is how the story happened and people push back and he hasn't really he hasn't really said much which is what one would expect from somebody who's really interested on the conceptual end of things and maybe not as much on the i don't know getting involved in real world politics and stuff yeah so also also interesting about phil uh two two facts and then i want to ask tk some some questions one uh he, he claims that the Tulip Trust is real, that Craig Wright absolutely and Dave uh, have access to it. And, and maybe Phil at one point was supposed to, but he kind of burned all of his own stuff of his own accord and uh, lost his access to that because he, he was paranoid. Um, and Craig says Phil is a liar and he's a fraud, but he did work for Craig at one point. Uh, and that he like was dumpster diving in some old hard drives and dug up a bunch of stuff and then retroactively pieced together the story and inserted himself in it. But he does say that he worked with them so that like Craig, they both claim that they had a past together, uh, though they have very different claims about it, which I find, I find interesting. Well, yeah, there was I, definitely yeah, Jamie Wilson involved in, in Craig's early companies. Is that Phil? So, no. Now, this is the, a, a, a weird part of the story. Phil claims that his middle name is Jamie. So his name would be yeah. Phil Jamie Wilson. And that the, Phil, the, the Jamie Wilson associated uh, with a bunch of those documents is probably not him. That, that's it's some other guy. And on, on, on top of that... <laughs> but he also says he had amnesia about the whole thing. Well, so well this, is the, this is related. He said on top of that, so some, it is definitely the case that some Jamie Wilson is not Phil Wilson. But then he says there are some documents he's not even sure himself whether he signed them as Jamie Wilson. <laughs> There, there was some MK Ultra going on here at some point. <laughs> Somebody scrambled that guy's brain. Well, I, so I, I want to say just one more thing on this because I, I find it really uh, interesting and that less people are talking about it. Um, if it weren't f for Phil's story, I would be much harder in the camp of Craig is just 100% fraud. Like I, I wouldn't have a, a plausible enough narrative for how Craig could be involved, given the way he presents himself as the central figure in the creation of Bitcoin, I wouldn't have, yeah. You go, you go, sorry. Oh, um, I wouldn't have heard something that was a, a plausible enough story for me. So whether or not Phil's story is exactly correct, it's a good enough story for me to have to say, okay, this is how things potentially could have gone down. Because I, uh, uh, I, I think even in BSV now, people say this is the case, but Craig did not write the, the white paper. You know, I, I think that they recently he said that he had the white paper, but if you read Craig's writing, there is no way that Craig <laughs> yeah, either, wrote, wrote either Craig had like a complete personality change, uh, a stroke, his, yeah, yeah a stroke, like or he did not write that thing because no, he, he and, cannot write that way. Right. And I don't think it's the case that he 
is great on the technical end from what I understand with a handful of conversations I've had with people, the small amount of people who I respect. But, but he does seem front. to have access to knowledge about some elements of Bitcoin that other people lack, even though he doesn't quite explain yes. it well. Or, and, or, and he's good on the economics, right? And he's yeah. good in the domain of economics, which is why yeah. I, 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 part of the reason I think BSV works is because he's right on the economics. But if... I don't think that Craig could tell a compelling story about the conceptual end of Bitcoin. Like for me, when I'm looking at things, when I'm trying to use my models of the world to try to understand the piece of this narrative together, I like analyzing other people's models. Like you tell me about what you know and why you know it and how you are. That's the way I approach things. If I take that lens apply it to Craig, I'm like, this dude is all over the place. There's some great stuff here. There's some horrible stuff here. When I talk to Phil, I get the impression that that is a dude who has knowledge of the system as like to a level that one would expect of the person who made the technical and conceptual breakthrough of Bitcoin. He's not like he understands the system. He understands how it would it connects to a bigger picture he has of like building planetary civilization. <laughs> yeah, gotta, yeah he wa- he, even though he wants to build some sort of like Star Wars communistic post scarcity or Star Trek, Star Trek yeah. like post scarcity world. <laughs> pretty pretty much. But if you if if you observe his his the the picture of the world that he's painting and how Bitcoin integrates into it, it's actually a really compelling story that one could tell about a plausible it's, story. It's consistent. And I've never heard sure. that from Greg. Yeah. yeah, there's an internal well, consistency to it that you could see someone with that framework having invented Bitcoin and, and Craig is kind of all over the place. So two, two things. One, one TK, are you still with one. us, by the way? I just want to make sure he's there. Okay, I just saw his head move. He's alive. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so two, two things. Uh, one, yeah, I, I agree with Steve that like reading Phil's story, and a lot of, much as it pisses a lot of people off and tells people like, no, like both sides get kind of annoyed with it because one side claim, one's, well, both sides, I guess, claim Phil is a fraud for different reasons. One is that Craig is Satoshi and that Phil is a fraud because he's trying to like steal his limelight or whatever. And the other one is that Craig is not Satoshi and Phil is a fraud. So, uh, but I found it very, I don't know, I found it very compelling as one option to explain a lot of stuff that explains it better than even Craig has explained it in his own book. Um, now, here's, here's the second thing that's kind of conspiratorial. Okay, so if you look up, if you look up, <laughs> If you look up Calvin Air Wilson, a, an alias that Calvin yeah, apparently used this. <laughs> was Calvin Wilson yeah. to register, register several companies along with his sister Anita Rose Air. So I, I, I don't so know. We have it's three just, Wilsons now. We now we have three Wilsons. Um, to me, that's that's an odd coincidence. Well, and you have the volleyball Wilson that is on the island with John McAfee, who's stranded <laughs> <laughs> away from civilization. T- TK, man, we always get accused of not letting you talk enough. What do you want? What do you want to talk about next? <laughs> He's just trying not to get sued. <laughs> no, and I think the stuff is interesting. Like the way I look at the way I look at theories of Satoshi is similar to the way I would look at conspiracy theories. You, you you kind of assume at the outset that everybody is either omitting some important truths or including some things that are not true. And, and I, I assume that across the board for everybody. I mean, I, I think Craig pretty much admits this, that there are important truths that he's not 
revealing right now, right? Because of some kind of strategy he's employing. So I don't think there are any exceptions to this. Everyone has some truths that they're like leaving out or some, some, some things that perhaps are not true or that are misleading that they're including in. So I, 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 don't, I don't take anybody's story um, like, oh yeah, that's the whole thing. There's just so much craziness going on. What I do find interesting about both the Mike Kern and the Phil, um, Phil story is that they reinforce something that I've observed is that Craig is still the guy that everybody is pointing to in some kind of way. And, and, and it's very interesting because, for instance, if you look at the Satoshi affair, Craig hates the Satoshi affair and he criticizes it. And even it's, though, it's one of the great, it's one of the most sympathetic things I've ever read to Craig. Right. Even though like people react to it, like, ha ha ha, this exposes his fraudulence. The guy comes right out and says, I think he's Satoshi. But at some point he put the pressure of, of, of having to maybe pretend that he did more than he, than he, than he actually did. But if you just take even his critical, critical version of it, he says he believes that Craig was a big part of Satoshi. Or if you take Phil's story, you know, I mean, even though Phil is basically saying, look, shouldn't have all the credit or he's this dangerous guy, you know, uh, he has the tulip trust, but we shouldn't trust him with it or he's going to do bad things with it. He's still saying that Craig was right at the center. If, if we believe that Mike Kern is Satoshi, it just so happens to be the case that this is the guy that Satoshi doesn't go on saying, hey, I am not Craig Wright. That, that this is the guy that Satoshi sits back and allows Craig to just do his thing and say what he wants. And when he has the chance to speak on it, he says, oh, I think he's an interesting guy. You know, so, so Craig is this guy that everybody's pointing to. And, and while I, I, don't, I don't pretend to know all or most of the answers, I think what all of these stories prove is that he's somewhere smack dab in the middle of it. But one, one thing I, I, I disagree on with, with Craig is, is this idea that he doesn't have the conceptual understanding. I, I think sometimes it can be hard to distinguish between not knowing what you're talking about and not being able to talk about what you know. Um, growing up in the church, for instance, and I've seen this in a lot of different churches, you have like a senior pastor who has the vision, he has, he has the, the pastoral heart, and he's the one that built up that community and that congregation. And he's the one that makes things happen, right? But then you sort of have like a younger pastor that is charismatic, storyteller, great communicator. And he can outshine that senior pastor in his sleep when it comes to the ability to preach and communicate the vision. And the senior pastor, great heart, great vision, but sucks at right? And you can, you can have that kind of dynamic where some people are just excellent communicators, man. And the people who know what they're talking about, they can easily sound dumb or easily sound like they're just all over the place because they think in a way that they're just all in the weeds or they just know how to articulate things to the everyday person. And I, I think that's a, a very distinct possibility when it comes to Craig Wright, I, I don't, I don't know if there's anybody that's defending them as the best communicator of the vision. I mean, even what Derek was saying earlier, when Mike Hearn says all of this stuff that Craig's been saying about law, 
It's just surprising. No one has a hard time understanding it. No one says he sounds stupid. It's just surprising <laughs> to know that Mike Kern said it, right? And that's the end of the discussion. But when Craig was saying all that stuff, everyone says it sounds stupid. Everyone says it sounds confusing. Like, what the heck is he talking about? And that's a clear example. Your communication style alone can make you sound like, like this really silly person that's very well, confusing. So uh, I shared a Mike Kern quote the other day, and it was about how basically like an outlaw currency will never will, will not be uh, is not useful to outlaws. And he talks about how like a, the usefulness of a currency is is defined by the number of people who are willing and able to accept it. Um, and uh, people shared that in RBTC, BCH people, and people commented on it positively as like a reason why Bitcoin Cash shouldn't too far down the Monero route or something like that. And nobody was calling Mike a statist or a totalitarian or whatever, you know, or a, a CIA, whatever. Whereas if Craig has said something similar, but in a way that is very much, very much uh, has a, a the, has a, a taste of uh, or of, of, of like maliciousness or something like that, or just maybe, like maybe because Mike didn't send emails to Roger Veris <laughs> saying he was going to ruin him and throw everyone in prison. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing, Craig. Craig but that, but that's that's what TK's point so, is. Yeah, I so think, like you that, can't hear Craig's words objectively. I mean they're confusing anyway, but his reputation is also so blinding yeah. that it's hard to actually see the content that he's trying to put well, forward. And I I've, I've read Craig blog posts a couple times before and it's and, and it's taken me a couple times to like get at what he's actually saying. And there are times when I will read it and be like, "Oh my god, like this is crazy." But then I'll get I'll read it a couple times again and be like, "Oh wait, wait, here's what he's actually saying." And then if I put it in context of things that Hal Finney and Mike Hearn said, I'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, that clicks. That makes well, a lot the, of sense. And the challenge is that those who hate Craig will read that and be like, total gibberish, I'm dismissing it. Right. Those who love Craig will read it like 75 times and be like, do you notice how he capitalized the wrong word? That was on purpose. <laughs> He's sending a code. It's a message. He's playing 7D chess. And like, both of them are wrong. It's like, okay, the guy can't communicate super well or clearly but he's not an idiot. He's got some stuff in here that makes sense if you just read it without, with, just imagine it's not from Craig Wright and read it a few times and compare it to some other stuff. But it's also not like some incredibly high level, super genius secret code type stuff either. So, you know? so here's one that, that is like kind of very recent is when Craig claimed that Satoshi never posted on Bitcoin talk. And a lot of people jumped to that and said, oh my God, this guy is just crazy. <laughs> of course, Satoshi posted on Bitcoin talk. But if you go look, it, it appears that Satoshi never actually posted on that domain and that he posted on the domain forum.bitcoin.org. And I actually found a Mike Hearn post talking about that. And it backed up a lot of what Craig has said. So this, this again comes back to whether Craig is plagiarizing Mike or not, because Mike was like, yeah, the reason we switched over uh, after Satoshi left was because all these people were posting links to like... Uh, hard drugs and illegal activities and uh, uh, all these crimes and moved it to a new domain and started screwing everything up. And then now we have all these rules in place where you can't do that. Um, and he, he specifically seems to have blamed Sirius and uh, like Thamos for, 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 for doing that. Not only that is if Craig was claiming, well, things could have been edited uh, 
that, that, that Satoshi posted, things could have been edited in subtle ways. And if you go look, there's definitely one that appears to be edited in a subtle way, and that the link Satoshi posted to forum.bitcoin.org was altered later to, say, uh, Bitcoin Talk. Mm. It was actually edited. The post itself was edited by somebody. So uh, a few things. One, the, the whole forum thing uh, is part of Phil's story as well. He describes another feature that I thought was really interesting about his story is he was saying he was involved in various communities in the hacking world that were of uh, no 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 steve no no hackers and crackers right the, the hackers and crackers yes <laughs> uh, well, well actually it's like <laughs> yeah it's, just, it's like wait wait what did i what did he say love you phil and he says too uh, uh he, they they were very deliberate in uh maintaining the uh appearance of legality of Bitcoin in the forums where they, that like social, uh, the of the garden, I think was the analogy used where if you're going to have a community that isn't shut down by the feds, you got to make sure you have some, uh, some pruning of the things that look illegal. But I also wanted to say, I wanted to push back on the, um, the idea that Craig might be really technically competent, but can't communicate. Well, that is, it's of course possible, but, Usually, from what I've seen, people who who have a deep level of understanding of some subject but can't communicate it are those who are explicitly competent in technical domains. So it's like the computer programmers of the world who are just amazing at understanding that piece of software that truly can't communicate it. But if somebody is uh, knowledgeable about some non-technical fields, I have seen very few people that appear to me deeply knowledgeable and incapable of, of communicating. Like when you're, if you're really going to understand something, you have to try see things from multiple perspectives. You have to see, you have to be able to, uh, you know, you, you're listening to multiple points of view. If you're trying to work with a team, you have to be able to communicate. And like a, a ton of great thinkers have also concluded, like if you can't clearly explain something, it's the case that you yourself don't understand on a, on a uh on a conceptual level and craig if you like his opportunity to demonstrate technical competence uh you would think would be when he's there teaching computer programming classes at university about how to program supercomputers this is where you would expect like if you were watching a video of Amri Sachet doing a breakdown of some code thing you'd be like okay this dude really gets it even if he's not the greatest articulator you can see the proof in the pudding in terms of the code he's putting out and how he's talking about the code well if you go and watch Craig teach courses on computer programming there's no coding like there I have no we have no positive reason to believe that he has technical competence and even or, the conceptual stuff or like is, is mushy even if he couldn't, let's say, teach it, you know, if he was like, hey, guys, I just released uh, this this new thing that I created. I just built this. Like, I know people who are not good at right. explaining anything, right. but they'll just go in their room, they'll code something up, and they'll release it out to the world, a new app, a new program. And all the other coders and normies will be like, hey, this is cool. You made something 100%. valuable. And I, I haven't seen- We have zero of that. Evidence of any of that. We have lots of like white papers and all this other kind of random stuff, but it's nothing- It's the theoretical stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I would say that a careful, uh, the way I would try to carefully articulate it is to say, 
we have no positive reason to believe that Craig is technically competent. We do have positive reasons to believe that he's not. You speak with people that who, whose uh, judgment you think is sound on matters of technical issues when a lot of them say, okay, Craig, actually, like I, I, there are some old people at BitPay who, I, who I, I really respect their opinions. And, wait, and before Craig was even like, became as big a deal as he is, I think this was before the SP split, uh, we're talking about, okay, is this, this was after his coming out in 2015 or whatever it was, but before the BSP split. And they were very, very curious. Okay. Is this guy who he says he is, you know, he's saying all these things they investigated and their conclusion was Greg has some very smart people who are really technically competent to know their shit around him. But we have no evidence that suggests he himself really knows what he's talking about when it comes okay. to technical. So this, so this it only heightens the mystery of Craig Wright because there is some reason that all these highly technically competent people, all these money people, all these people are always around Craig Wright. He has something. It's not anything obvious to any of us. It's not communication skills or clear you know, writing skills or clear, obvious technical competence. But he has something, and this is the thing. This is the ultimate mystery of the present world of Bitcoin anyway. To me, Craig Wright is the, because like, who is Satoshi? We don't know. There's nobody here that's, that's uh, you know, other than maybe Craig that's a potential candidate that we can talk about. But Craig is a real person right in front of us. And more than anyone else in this space, Craig Wright demands explanation. Like, who, you know, not to sound too biblical, but who do you say that Craig Wright is? It's like a really, because (laughs) when I think about it, when I think about it, the idea that Craig Wright is a just 100% scammer, liar, and a fraud, and has managed to uh, get some sort of tulip trust thing together with Dave Kleiman and, and Ira is suing him for it. So get so many people to believe that he has money in this thing, who has been able to get a ton of money apparently based on his lifestyle on social media that he personally has access to a whole bunch of people that work at Enchain, Kelvin Ayer, a, a billionaire uh, behind him. And the, you know, this, this BSV fork that was supposed to die that keeps living and people are building all the things he's been able to do. It seems incredibly implausible that he could do that. If no part of his story were true at all, if he was completely making it up on the other hand, it seems equally implausible that every part of his story is true. And he is Satoshi. He created the white paper. It was his idea. He did all this stuff. Like his, him being Satoshi seems ridiculously implausible and him not being Satoshi seems ridiculously implausible. And so you're stuck with like, how do you explain this guy? Like there's no explanation that seems easy to digest whatever his story it's a wild crazy story that deserves a movie like if it's catch me if you can part two with the greatest scammer ever that deserves a movie or if it's some brilliant misunderstood guy uh that deserves a movie too but how do you explain this guy who do you say that craig wright is well i would say that i think it's totally plausible that he like when people say he's lying well okay but lying in and of itself it's not you have to evaluate it further and come up with like, well, what's the reason for him lying? And <laughs> it could be trying to do people into thinking he's Satoshi, but his lies don't seem particularly effective at that. And so I wonder like, well, what are his lies effective at doing if he's lying or making things look like they're fraudulent? I don't know. I mean, someone in his position, if, if we're to assume he's Satoshi just for the 
just to be as charitable as possible, I can totally understand why someone like that would, would lie all the time about mm-hmm. stuff. Even if they want to be seen as Satoshi, they would lie. And even if, even if they know that they need some people to hear Satoshi, they still might lie, you know, uh, because, either because you're in danger and you, you want people who would be dangerous to you to not think you're Satoshi or because you're being sued and you don't want to give up that money. Uh, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of, of plausible reasons, I think, that someone to, to look like a for a while. Um, so I don't think I, I would never just say, oh, he I would need more than than what I've seen to, to write him off, I guess. Yes, something that I that I see a lot in uh, true crime. Like m- my wife and I, we listen to uh, the True Crime Garage podcast, and then we debate the cases and try to solve the mysteries a lot. W- one pattern that you see a lot in in true crime is there's almost always some kind of eyewitness or some friend who possesses some information that could be really helpful, and that person just lies. They had nothing to do with the crime. They did nothing wrong, but, but, but they lie and they, they pretend like they don't know anything or they say they were somewhere they're not. And, and, and fortunately for some of those, you can get them to open up and tell the truth if you promise to protect them, whatever. And, and it's always this situation where it's like they lied because even though they saw the kidnapping or they saw the murder or they saw whatever, they, they were somewhere where they weren't supposed to be. It's a married guy and he was at a mistress's house or, you know, it, it, it was a guy that had nothing to do with the crime, but he was like doing a drug deal or it would be revealed that he was lying to his parents about where he really was. And so there are all sorts of reasons for a lying. Is that like that when you may- lie to the, to the other BSV people and tell them that you don't hang out with us? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't hanging out with those guys. <laughs> yeah, I don't hang out with those guys, man. But, but yeah, I mean, there are just a lot of reasons. And I think, I think people say he's lying. They just, or, 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 or when people can see that he's covering something up, it's just easy to assume, oh yeah, the thing that he's covering up is the fact that he isn't Satoshi. But like Derek said, if you just use their imagination a little bit and you are Satoshi, I think there are some very good reasons for why you would want to cover up some things about your life, even if you're comfortable with going public about the fact that you're, you're Satoshi. Like, there's no reason to think that a person would want all of their business to be out there. You know? It's helpful to try to put yourself in, in their shoes, either imagining that you were that person or, or that you were just in a similar situation. Um, I think it's very easy to look at people's actions and then think, oh, I would never behave that way. I would never do that. You know, well, I'm accused of something. And like, like you see, the person doesn't come out and, and doesn't say, oh, it's wrong right away. They don't make a public statement. And you're like, well, why wouldn't they make a public statement? Why wouldn't they do that? And then, and then if you're actually getting to that situation yourself, you, you start to understand why it may be costlier to do that at the time. And it may be worth having people think that you're, you're guilty of something, even if uh, knowing that long term, you can, you can fix it. But in the short term, making a statement that you're not guilty will actually cause more damage. Well, so, so, you know, no, go ahead. That's very true. I'm going to hop in then. There was a great pause for me to interrupt. Um, so I, I want to piggyback on what you said, TK. Uh, you said, you know, there's a, a whole range of possible truths here that we can't just be like, oh, this is definitely the true story. This is this definitely the true story. And because the crypto is so polarized, like, you know, people get pushed into two camps, either he's Jesus, which some people literally think, 
one subset of those people are, are people who think he's literally the Antichrist. There are several of those who exist as well. Um, and the other camp is uh, he's 100% a fraud. But the, the gradient is so vast in the middle. Like there's so much nuance all, like, like in gradient. Um, and really powerful and plausible stories that you can tell. So, you know, Isaac asked, who is Craig Wright? Okay, so he, we could tell a plausible story in which Craig is part of the Satoshi team and a, 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 a genius playing 12G chess in areas and lying about some things, but at the end of the day, he's, you know, the guy who's mainly telling the truth. We could also tell a variation in which, yeah, he was part of the Satoshi team and a driving force and literally doesn't even understand some of the basics of the technology that he helped create. That's also entirely plausible. Here's another one. Craig might be part of the, yeah, Craig and Phil might be part of the team that hacked Satoshi. They got a bunch, you know, Satoshi was hacked in 2014 or something like that, I think. So they got a bunch of information that only Satoshi would have, some of it very high quality perhaps, and maybe even BSV is, is vision because they have information that was stolen because they hacked Satoshi. That's a potential gradient. And maybe we have a, a, a derivative of that. We say, okay, well, maybe it's the case. Here's, I actually find this kind of plausible. Maybe Craig, who does seem to have connections to three-letter agencies, it does seem that he has worked in some capacity with various government agencies um, around the world. Maybe he was the guy that was tracking Satoshi. So like, maybe here's the story. Maybe Craig Wright was aware of who Satoshi was, and that Satoshi was building a project called, it was going to be Bitcoin 2017, or 2007, 2008. And so he also knew that that team called themselves the Satoshi team. And so he thought to himself, you know what I'm going to do? I have this inside information. I'm going to go to this crypto conference and talk to Greg and present myself as Satoshi, because I know, nobody knows who Satoshi is. I know who Satoshi is. And I know in a few years, this is going to come out and Satoshi is going to create it. And so I'm going to play the longest con, pretending myself to be Satoshi, because I have the inside uh, information, the knowledge that Satoshi had. I can say I was talking about myself as Satoshi before anybody else, and yet still be a, a fraud? Is he a fraud though? If he has that information, so like, so that, one that, one version of that story, Steve, it could be that French guy who's like a uh, like tech cyber criminal yeah. who's in prison that Craig says he was part of the team that helped bring him down, and there's a lot of theorizing that that guy might have been Satoshi. I cannot remember his name, but if I'm not, I don't know if this is real or verified. But this guy it's like Paul LaRoe. Paul LaRoe. Yeah. He popped up on Twitter recently. Is this fake? Is this a fake account? He's been tweeting well, all this crazy he stuff. He tweeted at Roger and said it's time, and Roger liked the tweet. <laughs> so I, have, I don't know. Okay, so so related to Paul LaRoe. It's because they're both criminals. But, but, related but, but, to but, Paul LaRoe. Paul did true crypt, right? So the true crypt was this, I don't know, it's an encryption thing or something like that. Uh, I don't know the technicalities of true crypt, but I do know that the somewhere... It was originally claimed that the Tulip Trust Bitcoin were sealed in TrueCrypt hard drives. Yeah. That's not that unusual, though. TrueCrypt okay. was like the main God, open was... source encryption. Yeah. Thing. Okay. So I, was, I wasn't sure how common those were. Okay. So. Yeah. yeah but I mean, so that's. The, isn't that very plausible story that we could tell? Okay. It was this French driller guy, Paul Roux. Craig was on the case. And then either he, Craig went rogue to claim that he was Satoshi and to come up with this Machiavellian scheme and like, uh, you know, recruited a billionaire because he had all this inside him. 
kitchen and made money off of it, or this was this was actually part of the plan that the the the, the people at the CIA were like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this opportunity, present you as Satoshi, and here's what we're going to do with Bitcoin. We're going to turn it in. Okay. Government surveillance tracking. I'll, I'll, I'll take it an even crazier level. Total speculation. This would just make the best Hollywood movie. I'm not claiming this happened. But <laughs> whether it's intelligence or organized crime or really what's the difference, Craig, either ahead of time, was working with them and, and infiltrated and hacked or joined the Satoshi team, or he was part of the Satoshi team already and was later like recruited by organized crime or intelligence. And it was like there was a split within the Satoshi team. Like, no, we're not going to do this black market stuff, blah, blah, blah. We're going to do this. Or, hey, we're going to be, we're going to use it. We're going to set it up and pretend it's black market and really work with intelligence to use it as a way to track down as a, as a honeypot to track down these criminals, blah, blah, blah. And there was a split and like, you know, maybe Dave and maybe Hal and whoever else were like, no, we don't want to do that. We want this free market thing. And then they both end up dead. And Craig doesn't. I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of things that could happen. You know, like the story. Do we have, do we do we have our safe word? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 Steve, there's something I want to back on that Steve mentioned because I think something you said actually contains a possibility for why Craig might appear to be someone that lacks technical competence. One of the things you said is that. We have no evidence that he does possess technical competence. And we have some evidence based on people, you know, who, who have worked closely with him saying that, that, that he doesn't really understand the technicals. We also have that in reverse. We also have people like Ian highly praising his technicals. Or Ryan his technicals. Charles. His, his technicals? Uh, there's yeah, a difference between technicals and, con- and the conceptual. Yeah, no. Uh, Derek, were you going to defend me here or were you going to object? If you're going to object, just don't even say anything. I've heard (laughs) several technical people say he's technically competent. Yeah. Technically Um, competent. uh, Incompetent or competent? I've seen Ian say it on Twitter. Competent. Okay. Competent. I I believe Ian has said that, and I believe that Ryan has said that, and Shatters. And Shatters, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I I need to, I would like to definitely learn more about this. And I wonder what they mean by that. Here's something super interesting. So. Shatters was involved in Bitcoin at least in 2011, right? And Shatters was in, uh, according to the Bitcoin dev logs, was in communication with Mike Hearn and was like working for him or something like that. Dun, dun, dun. So, so, so there we go. TK, I want to I bolster or, or at least take a twist on something that you said. Like when you look at Craig it's really easy to be like, none of this makes any sense because if you were Stoshi, you just move the coins or whatever. And as Derek mentioned, if you think purely as like homo economicus, as like a you know, self-interested individual in sort of a game theoretical situation with all these strange incentives, it's not too difficult to imagine if you were in that position, many, many reasons why you would not want, you know, especially early on, you wouldn't want anyone to know you're Satoshi because you don't know the legal status of this thing. You don't know whatever. And then later, it kind of gets co-opted and taken over by Blockstream, which itself could be all, could be just whatever. It could be all kinds of dark conspiracies. Uh, and you're like, okay, there's all kinds of danger involved here. And then you kind of like, you know, get outed or maybe you, you know, whether it's somebody else that's trying to push you to get outed or a journalist or whatever, and you're like, well, I have to own up to it. Well, no, actually, I don't. And then you could see reasons why 
wanting people to think you were a fraud is actually preferable. Like you can see from a purely homo economicus standpoint, why a lot of these things that seem strange would make sense, it ta- you know, tax liability, et cetera. But then you add in the fact that it's not just homo economicus. We're also talking about flawed emotional beings, uh, maybe even people that are extremely uh, flawed or emotional or have strange personalities. You throw that in the mix and you can easily see, and this is what I love about the Satoshi Fair, it paints a believable picture of a tortured soul who is at once telling the truth about some things, trying to stay, trying to be hidden and trying to be behind the scenes and not let people know because he knows strategically and rationally that makes the most sense. But on the other hand, his ego can't stand to see people shitting on him or taking his ideas in a way he doesn't like or whatever. And so his inability to control himself and to strictly play the homo economicus rational strategy is what makes him do these contradictory outbursts and be like, no, I'm Satoshi. I'm going to destroy all of you. You're all losers, whatever. And then all of a sudden get around his people and his lawyers and they'd be like, hey, chill out. We can't move the coins. You're not going to do this. You can't tell people this kind of stuff. Hold on. And then he reigns it back in. I don't have to tell you anything. I'm, I'm nothing. I'm no one. I'm not Satoshi. It doesn't even matter who I am. And then two days later, of course I'm Satoshi because it's this conflict between the strategy that makes sense and the emotional feeling of constantly being, you know, attacked. Like there's a believable version of that that doesn't have to be too crazy. Well, by the way, when you research, you read into like how people get uh, de-anonymized online and stuff like that. A lot of it has to do with like, ego and stuff like that. Um, and that, that's like a common thread when you read about these things. It's like that people, even when they have like ulterior identities and stuff like that, they struggle not to bring in elements of their personal life uh, because of their their sort of uh, because of their ego and because of their like emotional elements attached to that identity. Yeah, and this, they, they want I, to be recognized, like, but but more than anything else, yeah. they don't want another person. If no one gets credit, that's maybe more tolerable. If the wrong person gets credit or the wrong approach, and that's why one was the only time Satoshi emerged from the darkness briefly. When, when Dorian Nakamoto was claimed to be Satoshi. Nope, that's not me. And then that's it. <laughs> you know, that's a very, like, and, 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 and people don't, don't make a big deal him, but of, don't think it's somebody else, you know? And, and it's interesting that that hasn't been done for Craig. I don't think it proves everything, but I do think that's interesting. I, I like the comment on emotions too. And this is um, where Ian Grigg story lends some credence to the idea that uh, Craig was involved because he explicitly says, I think in one or maybe both of the articles where he destroys his own reputation by saying he believes Craig involved. Hey, in don't forget, situation. don't forget John McAfee, my favorite guy out there. He says that Craig <laughs> was, was also involved in some way. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mac- McAfee was hilarious because he was like calling Craig a fraud and all this stuff. And then he was like, oh, well, yeah, I said he's a fraud, but I also, I never said he wasn't part of Satoshi. Yeah, he was, of course he was a part of it. I'm just saying yeah, he like, didn't write course, the white paper. <laughs> of course he was. Right. But, I, but Ian specifically talks about there. He's like, he, the Craig is a very flawed guy, like deeply, deeply emotionally flawed. And I'll, uh, uh, I just want to return. I'm a point about the whole thing. Um, I, I want to do more research on this because this is interesting, but maybe... Ian, when I read those articles from Ian Grigg, maybe he said other things publicly that I'm unaware of. It, he gets he essentially says, "Yeah, Craig is the guy at the center of this." But I don't interpret that as Craig has like coding skills. Maybe he said it elsewhere, but I haven't interpreted it that way. And like Ryan Charles, who you guys know I respect, 
he's talked, when I've heard him say, you know, he's learned from Craig, it's things like, you know, oh, Bitcoin is actually Turing complete in some way, which seems to be more on the academic theoretical end and less on the, like the ground level technical details. I know you guys had three people uh, claim that maybe it was Shatters or yeah, something. So, so it's but, like having access yeah. to, to knowledge about the technical capabilities. Right. right. Maybe and, different and, than, yeah, Craig sat down and he whipped out his keyboard and he started coding in it, ways I've never seen Exactly. Before. And you That's can different. understand, like if you're in Ryan's position and you learn the big technical uh, uh, truths, you know, oh, Bitcoin is turning complete meaning it can do this certain type of thing, you might casually say, oh yeah, I think he's like super highly technically competent. But I just want to make the distinction there that that seems to be more on the theoretical end or at least can be more on the theoretical end rather than any like actual computer skills. So, so, so I, I, go I, ahead, I see one tweet by Ian. I, I've seen a number of uh, tweets where he's talked about Craig and I, I would have to go through them to find them. But I'm yeah, looking yeah. at one where he says, Craig's understanding of Bitcoin beyond anyone I've met. And, and that's conceptual, right? Right, right. We, we can say that's conceptual. But, but here's the thing. Let, let, let's use as an example the, the possession of the keys. You find people who talk about Craig as if he has made himself look like a complete idiot every time that topic has come up, right? When he, when he explains why he's not going to sign with the keys, people say he sounds like he's making excuses. When he had the opportunity to do it in public, People say he looked like a foolish man who was called on his bluff. And then when he explained why he didn't do it, people said he just made himself look even more like a fraud. And then you've got the likes of Gavin saying, yeah, but my private experience of him was entirely different. And it shows that he would mean that you can have two sides of yourself, a public self and a private mm -hmm. self. And for strategic purposes, you can show one side of yourself in order to get something that you want or need. But then when it comes to the public face, you can ensure that you conceal things about yourself until you might be ready to reveal them. And, and I think if there's anything we can agree on with Craig is that whether you think his information leads to him being Satoshi or away from it, he knows more than he reveals. He deliberately keeps certain things to himself because of a game that he's playing. And that could very well be a part of it. I, well, I, I've, it could, I've always thought that him being Satoshi doesn't require him to be a master coder, but right. it also could be possible that he's more technically competent that he feels the need to prove. That's Satoshi, not a master coder or cryptographer, by the way. So, you know, that, yeah. that's people, yeah. you know, well, suggested that's, that before. That's the whole re but, that's but, the reason why Bitcoin wasn't invented by all of the... Uh, Highly academic. accredited academic, but all of them is that it wasn't possible. But including some so of them who I think later joined. I think um, it's also. I think it'd be dangerous too to just read Craig as like, oh, he's playing a master game because I, I actually think that the emotions could could tell you more about it maybe than than strategy. Like he's not so much playing chess as he's playing like emotional roller coaster by accident because he can't yeah. handle what's going on, and that's totally plausible. I mean, both both as recognizing my own personal emotions, but also thinking, okay, well, look at the magnitude of what he might, he would be dealing with as well as, you know, who he actually is, who has a history of just kind of being this way anyway. Um, I was, I was thinking just now, I, I, I probably, sh people are going to get pissed. Uh, but I, I compare him to Steve Jobs in that if you look at like Steve Jobs, very successful guy, but one big lie that he told his entire life and, and like, was about his daughter not being his daughter, even though she was like, like around him all the time. And he would like, 
pay for her housing and stuff like that. He would insist that she was not his daughter. And even like said that to the tabloids that she was probably his mom, her mom was a whore and she probably just slept with some random guy, uh, half a Silicon Valley or something like that. And then he still had her around. He like, he like completely torn and, and like that behavior is like, seems totally inaccessible to me for a guy who's like very wealthy, who, who, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a money thing um, to, to, to play this song and dance over and over and over again. And then at the end, give her a bunch of money. And she like inherited a lot of his, his estate like that. But I, I, that's like think, crazy. No. And I think that's a great example. Like I think people tend to overestimate the ability that um, prominent people have to perfectly cultivate and maintain their brand. So look at, look at any athlete or movie star that, that wasn't groomed from a young age and raised in it. They, they tend to be better at managing their brand because they've kind of been turned into machines from a young age or politicians. But those that all of a sudden achieve success quickly, they always go with, do some stupid emotional thing, do a drunk text, do it. They're always doing something that's bad for their brand at some point that they have to apologize for. And imagine like, being some nerdy, weird Cody type guy that gets thrust into the limelight sort of against your will, or at least not on your timing. Um, there's no way you're going to, everything you do is going to be perfectly scripted and orchestrated and all part of the plan. You're going to do stuff that you regret. You're going to lose your temper. You're going to, you know, like Roger Ver, you're going to flip somebody off when they're asking you dumb questions in an interview and then turn into a meme and wish that you hadn't done it. Like that's a human thing. All of us non-famous people, uh, do that all the time. So I, I don't think that, oh, that the, the idea that it's all perfectly orchestrated and Craig knows exactly what he's doing <laughs> at every moment, it just seems so implausible. Here's, here's one thing about that too, the, the emotional thing is, so a lot of people will look at Craig and they'll look at like the PR push behind the uh, uh, 2015 or 2016 signing and like the fact that they hired a PR company or whatever to help them with that. And look at Craig saying like, oh, I never wanted the spotlight. And then he's like back in the spotlight, you know, and those kind of contradict. Um, well, we have to remember like Craig at that time when he was doing that all, he was in his forties. Now, if you look back at Craig's life, there's no history. I don't think I've seen of him actively cultivating like some big spotlight in the past. Typically people who are spotlight driven like that are doing that much longer you don't start that in your 40s, do you? Well, and look, let me tell you something about uh, when you hire a PR firm, you don't hire a PR firm to play offense. You hire a PR firm to play defense. That's a reactive yeah, move. Exactly. That's a that's a loss prevention. Let's try to make this thing a little safer. We got something that could get out of our control. You don't hire them because you're going to go out there and do this great promotional push. That's that's the opposite usually. So to me that hiring a PR firm says, "Uh, we don't want this to go bad. Let's try to like keep it under control." Yeah, so it's both of those things. I mean, would you agree? Like, like I, at least in my in my opinion, the way I've seen things is like you don't typically start becoming in your mid forties someone who is like super status seeking in the limelight, trying to get credit for everything. Um, he didn't seem to be doing that for forty years prior to that. Well, so I, I don't know. You can read his old blog posts and stuff, and it's like he definitely he definitely seems to be the type that wants you to know about all of his degrees and certifications very badly. Yeah, that's, that's true. I guess that's, that's true. His blog wasn't like particularly popular though. Or anything like that. No, not know. at it's all. Like, but it, but it speaks of somebody or like just publishing his books and whatever, like the things that like he wants to be published and certified and like recognized yeah. in a way that other yeah, people that's respect. True. 
Yeah. So, but we yeah. know lots of academics like that. We know academics like that. Yeah, never, he, like like an academic. They want that like sort of shallow external paper prestige type of thing. It's, an, it's another reason why in my model of the world, I find it unlikely that Craig himself made these conceptual breakthroughs because he does seem like an academic and I think very poorly of academics. So this is why I like Phil's story because it literally starts off so Toshi feels like an anti-academic, right? It, well, so you read the Bitcoin origin story by Phil and it starts off, you know, I, I've it's something like, I've always noticed there's a great difference between knowledge and understanding. And he explains in some detail why pompous uh, couldn't make this breakthrough. Um, he's like very anti-elitist and like uh, very much an anti-academic, which to me, lends more credibility to the story because I think and, those and are the types be because of people it, that actually. It, it might be because it, it appeals to our biases, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent experience. But TK, you're an insider. What happened? <laughs> what happened with this book that was supposed to be written about Craig Wright that suddenly got pulled by the publisher? Like Calvin Air was tweeting about it. This is going to be great. This is we're working with the author. It's going to be a tell-all, and then it got pulled. What's the story here? Yeah, if I promise to be concise, can I just give a quick response to Steve's? Yeah, yeah, you don't need to promise to be concise. Go ahead. All right. So I I think Craig is a unique academic, and I'm not going to posit that he's the only one who's like this, but I think your same prediction based on him being an academic would also apply to to, to, um, uh, denying that he would behave the way he's behaving now. Like the way Craig is behaving now is far from what we we would predict an academic would do. He's beating everybody by somehow gathering up a team of people. Even if he's technically incompetent, he's somehow using his influence and his knowledge to put all of these entrepreneurs and developers around him. And he's carrying the roadmap forward in a way that is making it really difficult for his competition to be in the marketplace. So there is definitely a side to Craig Wright that you don't see in the typical credential chasing academic. But, what, but what's weird kind about it is like, side. on the one hand, it seems sure. like he's he's entrepreneurial and connected to the business world enough to like not worry about all that academic BS. On the other hand, he's like super obsessed with that BS. You know, in a way that, in a way that other academics look down on and normal people don't care about. So it's almost like the, like if you want to be respected as an academic, you like get a degree from Yale or something and then become like an endowed chair or president emeritus. And, and academics will respect you. If you want to be un- disrespected by academics, you get like 17 online degrees from like, you know, <laughs> University of Phoenix uh, and never have like a chair anywhere. And normal people won't care. Either. You, it's like you don't win in anybody's eyes. Well, he's like, suppose, like winning has a big company that he's a part of and seems to have money in the world of business, but still wants these constant degrees from like weird programs that other academics don't care about, like, and just cranking out papers that nobody thinks are legit. It's just such a strange contrast. Yeah. And, and that, that fits the story of a more fraudulent type of individual who is craving the prestige and that feeling of being uh, legitimate and want to say, well, of course, I know what I'm talking about. Look at me. I have 17 degree online degrees. D- despite when you look into it, you know, there are cl- there many claims of plagiarism in his academic work going back a long period of time before he looked like before he was even like involved in, in Bitcoin stuff. So, it, but I agree with you, TK. It is this weird mix where clearly he is able to 
surround himself with high quality individuals. And yet I would say he's almost like the most pathetic version in the academic domain of the, of the academic art archetype that like he's trying so hard <laughs> that he's maybe plagiarizing work to get a bunch of degrees from a, sh uh, you know, a, a shitty university and then literally wheeling them out in a wheelbarrow on stage to try to make people take him seriously. Well, that was kind of funny though. I felt like that was more of a troll. You know, because people were giving him such a hard time. I don't know. I mean, I can see it both ways. But I, I, the wheelbarrow thing just seemed like that was just that was just funny. If it was a one-off, then yes. But it's in the con the whole context of him. You know, the way he talks about his academic background and being an academic researcher. Uh, I think that I don't think it was entirely a troll. Every yeah, talk. I, hey, look, fun. look. I would rather. I would still rather get a beer with Craig Wright than pretty much anybody I've met in the BTC. I'll, I'll take Craig over Greg any day. There you go, Craig. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by the guy. So, TK, what what happened with this book, man? Wait, 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 wait. One more thing. One more oh, thing. Okay, okay, okay. So you say so, one more thing, and then you talk about the book, and the rest of us will let you go. You do a double. All right, so, so here's Except the kind of thing that's just... We never let TK talk enough. <laughs> You're not here's letting the... him talk now. <laughs> <laughs> here's the kind of thing that, that I think is difficult for, for the Craig critics. So you take at CoinGeek the EHR data announcement, right? And, and, and how much of a bullish signal that is. And, and here you have three official representatives from the organization take the stage and they get up there. And in spite of everything that's said about Craig and all the so-called evidence that he's lying, that he's a fraud, they talk about working with BSV as the best decision for themselves. And they don't mention that at all, right? Like they don't seem worried about it at all. And the question you got to ask yourself is, what are, they, what are they saying to people and showing people in private right. that's making this a complete non-issue? Because everything that we see happening in public tells us they should not be that calm and cool about it. I should be a lot more worried about Craig and they should be listening to what Jimmy song or whatever is saying. Right. But, but they just seem to be too cool with it. And I, I think that actually lends credibility to the theory that there are things said and shown in private to close the deal that revealed in his public facing image, you know? So some people like CoinGeek I met, uh, I think even like speaker types, some of them, uh, some of those like business types didn't even know anything about that. Like I was actually kind of surprised, <laughs> like, like they hadn't even like heard of Craig's scandals. <laughs> it's like, are you it's guys not even like, Googling It's almost this like dude? crypto Twitter is not the same as the rest of the world. You know? right. Yeah. It's a very <laughs> insular environment. And you know, when you go Google like headlines, the headlines will often be like, Craig sued for $5 billion. Well, if I read that as like a total outsider, it's like, oh, he could be Satoshi. Yeah, you know? you're like, what, what um, big business person isn't sued for, you know, money by other people? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, with EHR data and all this like stuff, I think it's all cool. But I also think we, we shouldn't fall into the trap of being like announcements because BSV makes a lot of announcements, you know, and, you know, let's see what happens. So far, most of them have been announcements right yeah and let's see it on chain let's see some big growth like i love the strategy i love the idea but i you know i want to see it actually in practice be a big thing yeah and, and I, I agree with that i think some of it is a signal to other people as well it, it's kind of like when you um i don't know it's kind of like if you got a speaking gig or something like you want that up on the website as soon as possible to signal to well, the other gigs you're going to get. Or if you're raising money, you want to announce the people that are already invested. It, it helps. Well, I mean, Calvin is like a, a media genius, you know, that's kind of, yeah. that's kind of his whole thing. I you look into his history, 
even when you look at him as an entrepreneur, the way the way he was able to build his his brand and his his businesses, like he created a, as I understand it, and uh, if Calvin's lawyers are watching, please forgive me. Uh, but as I understand it, um, he used he, he created these like all egos or these like characters, and would do these like media pushes with these characters. Like he had one character who was like slashing through the jungle with like a machete and like betting all these like uh amazon women or something like that and doing these like crazy things like he was like an early like uh guy uh using the internet to like create these like you know uh fascinating like just digital content around his stuff and that's how he became big he created like a, a, a brand so when you're looking at what he's doing now, you have to filter it through that lens too. You have to Does understand. Does that make it like, more or less likely that BSV is legit? Uh, I think it makes it. I think it makes it the yeah some of the stuff less likely. Like like some of the stuff that he and and stuff like. But at the same time, it also it also may suggest that he is in it for the long term and that he's played this game and won at it before. So you can look at it both ways. You like. It could be like a really good long term if, if he's playing on a strategy that he has tried several times and been effective at. Yeah, like there's got to be something worth throwing some marketing effort at behind it all. Otherwise, he wouldn't do it. Or maybe it's like it's all hype and there's nothing else behind it. I mean, it, you know, it seems like there's something behind it. Just if you look at nothing else, then uh, the chain's still alive and it does more transactions every day than any other chain. So it's kind of hard to say that it's nothing. Yeah, a, a, an example of that would be um, after CoinGeek made their YouTube channel and started producing these really high quality interview, professional looking interviews about BSV. I remember right afterwards where this was still when BSV was approximately nothing. And I, I remember having the, the, the feeling that it was like looking at North Korea propaganda. Like, this is all bollocks. They're all pretending like we are very official with our suits and everything and uh, background music and graphics and all of that. And it gave the impression of pure appearance rather than any substance. But now, with the progress that's been made with, in, in, the, in the BSV, I don't know, it, it, community or industry, it, it fits. It actually looks, it, it looks like they, they set that image and, that, and then have been bringing... Uh, success along those dimensions. So now I well, go back and look at the interviews. I'm like, is, oh damn, this looks exactly like it should if you were the most professional Bitcoin uh, media company in existence. Like well, they like are Co creating Coin the industry uh, standard. CoinGeek articles and press uh, and press releases, they always read like some sort of North Korean thing. Yeah. Except now... I don't even notice it because literally every media story by every outlet reads like it's a North Korean propaganda. <laughs> so it's, it's just <laughs> so um, you know. Then I think I think a lot of a lot of the hostility in Bitcoin in general about a lot of things, a lot of the just like claims that are made, are they're coming from people who don't have experience business at all, who therefore look at things as scammy behavior or. Like behavior that no, but no one would possibly do that, you know. So I was talking about like earlier, like wrapping up stuff in a bunch of trusts or a bunch of LLCs right. and having like a dozen LLCs. No one would ever do that. Well, I wouldn't do that in my mom's basement. Therefore, yeah, no one exactly. else would. The people actually do do that. And another example is like like the idea of of launching a media company first and creating a bunch of content 
and looking very professional when you don't have much to offer is very common. Like you read about startups getting launched all the time where it's like, Oh yeah, we had a, 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 a address listed that was like my mom's house, but like we said, it was this, or we had a phone number, we got an 800 number just so that we looked real, or, you know, we, uh, uh, you know, listed extra people on the team page or something like that, or, you know, whatever, just things you do to look like you've been around longer than you actually are, or that you have more to offer. I mean, even like, I mean, if we think about, uh, you know, early days of any company, I mean, ones that we've been involved in too, like you, you do your best to show the best aspects of it. You leave all the other disorganized mess out of the public sphere, you know, like when, even when we're launching Praxis or getting Praxis off the ground, we're not writing about the craziness that's going on behind the scenes. You're getting tailored picture of, 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 of the good stuff. And then also the vision that we have for what we want to do in the future, but you're not getting like, Oh shit, this happened. And Oh shit, this happened. And no crap. Like, you know, this, 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 right. right. If you saw that's it's, the same thing I think with, with, with here. Yeah. And these, it, it, not like you can create these promo videos and media organizations easily. It's not like, oh, if I were going to do a the scam from my basement, I would do it this way and make this front media organization. <laughs> Probably not because that's really freaking expensive to put on those conferences to get the 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 hosts who are interviewing people. Everything like super. It's like it really is that, legitimately. You think green screen background and these production <laughs> values we have here. You, think you do have this cheap? black I mean, blob that keeps coming out of here. <laughs> He's obviously paying millions of dollars just to operate CoinGeek. And CoinGeek is not, as far as I can tell, generating revenue you right. know, directly. They're not, they I don't mean, have ads on their website. You know? it, but if you look, I, I subscribe to the YouTube channel because I've really been enjoying the stuff that they're, they're putting out more excited. But uh, it is not an exaggeration to say you could see some of those interviews on CNBC. Like yeah. those are max quality. They give the impression of a hundred percent professionalism. Is that, is that supposed to be a, a compliment or an insult? No, <laughs> it's well, true. Uh, it's a compliment, um, and it, it, it's very hard to explain through the lens of the the, the fraudulent uh, explanation. It's like to go to those lengths to do something that high quality value when the person who's doing it does believe in it. I just don't think that checks out. Yeah, there, there's too, and there's too many entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial type people, not a ton, but enough that I've met who are smart and who are building on BSV, who have had the opportunity to get exposure to Craig and Enchains sufficient that if they thought it was fishy and it wasn't going to be good for their business, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have done it. Like there's just too much real stuff happening there for it to all be, for it to all be phony. Yeah. Well, and it, you can usually tell when something is like a pop-up sort of, uh, you know, facade because it doesn't, it doesn't go that deep. So like occasionally, like I'll, I'll get ads for like, stuff, like these kind of scammy marketers who are selling some course, you know, uh, you know, make a bunch of money how, you know, doing X, Y, and Z or something like that. And they'll have like one nice video or something like that. But like you, you start looking into it, it doesn't go very deep at all. Whereas like the, the mm. content that CoinGeek is creating is consistently high quality, for, you know, what, two years now, like it's, 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 it's a different level of commitment. It's yeah. not just like, oh, let's set up this like really thin veneer that we can use to get people into this email list or something like that. T- TK, it, we, need to talk about, we need to talk about this book before we wrap this. What's going uh, on? I yeah. want to read this thing. Yeah, I, I can segue us into that with, with your last comment where it's like there are a number of people that have been really close, had, had access to Craig, and 
you know, and, and they kind of turn away or this guy's a fraud. I think it's downplayed a lot is just how socially and financially rewarding it could be to have something incriminating on Craig. Everyone kind of tells this narrative that, oh, everyone's afraid of being sued. First of all, totally not true because there are some accounts uh, on Twitter that dedicate themselves to proving that he plagiarized or proving that he forged this document and they're posting every week. They're not afraid of being sued. Um, if you have something specific on him, like here's a specific lie, man, we've already seen a number of the people not get sued, come out with what they claim to be evidence of him lying. I think if, if there were someone that was close to him or that's been around him and, you know, that caught him in a lie, evidence of that, I think there's a lot of crypto table waiting for that person. And if the whole crypto community can gather together to finance whole or not, I think they'd be more than happy to save their industry by financing somebody who can incriminate Craig. Here's why I don't buy the narrative from these book publishers. The reason they didn't publish is because they were afraid, afraid to be sued. I don't buy that. Here's my theory. I think this was a positive book for Craig. That's the way I talked about. They pulled it. I think that Calvin expected. They cooperated with, they gave them a lot of information. I believe this was a book that was going to be kind of like mainstream public endorsement of Craig Wright. And it was going to say a number of things that made him look good. But remember what we talked about before with this climbing case. This is unlike the others. This isn't Craig trying to sue Peter McCormack. This isn't something that he initiated. This seems to be the one case that he can't control. One thing kind of throw for a loop that he has to adapt and adjust his plans to, unlike the ones where he's trying to sue other people. And this has gone in a way that's been unpredictable for a lot of people. And this book was scheduled to publish in January around the same time that everyone thought something big was going to happen. People may forget about it now or pretend like they didn't, they weren't interested in it now, but everyone thought Craig might, you know, reveal the Tulip Trust, that Craig might, you know, move some coins. And that's why a lot of people were disappointed. And a lot of people were kind of debating this when January 1st came and nothing dramatic happened. Number and, you know, you know, nothing dramatic really happened that people were expecting. But then we see these publishers pull the book and what they or everyone already prepared to leave. Oh, we want to avoid litigation, or at least that was the narrative that somebody said about them. And everyone's going to believe that because, right, Craig and Calvin are the guys that everybody got their feelings and say things about them. Everyone's eager to accept that, and then no questions asked. But I actually think seeing what happened to Gavin, seeing Gavin give a public endorsement for Craig, and then Craig not come do the thing Gavin thought would vindicate him pays this huge social cost for sticking his neck out there on behalf of Craig. I think they didn't want to be Gavin. They, they pulled it from the shelves, I believe, because it was going to be positive and make him look good. And then when things got weird with the case, it didn't look like some things they were expecting to happen would happen. Why, they said, why would we're we're going to wait a, on this. Why would a book publisher care about that, though? They just care about selling copies. It would well, make they, them look really bad. So I'll give you an example of that. Uh, Nobody Casey remembers Ant who published the book. Maybe the uh, author pulled it. If I, I'll give you some. Read. I'll give you a couple of real examples of this. We can use the example of uh, OJ's book. If I did it, we could use an example of Casey Anthony as well. Does anybody what, remember who the publisher was? 
No, but, but what I'm saying is we have examples of publishers backing out of something because it was so controversial and they didn't want to be associated with it. That just happened with the Woody Allen book. The um, yeah, Woody Allen book just got canceled by the publisher because Ronan Farrow uh, made a scene. And so the publisher just said, we don't want to be associated with it. Do you think Craig and, and Wright is mainstream enough though? Like the OJ case, every single person watched that on TV. Like, well, 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 well the Casey Anthony case wasn't as popular as OJ, but I guess, I guess I'm saying it seems more likely to me that somebody leaned on the author or the publisher, that there was some, some leaning going on than that. They, then that they surveyed the landscape of public opinion and thought that they were going to suffer for this. Well, it could have been both. Someone could have leaned on them and said, you will suffer. You know, that's basically what happened with the, with the uh, um, Woody Allen book was that Ronan Farrow, who had published a big book with the publisher, uh, you know, uh, he was a journalist who's been covering all this stuff, seems to have hinted that like, hey, if you don't back out, like I'm going to pull my books and I'm going to write hit pieces on you and you're not going to like them. So, yeah, it's got to be le- there's got to be leaning going on because I don't think there's enough of a I think it's got to be leaning. Yeah, I think it's got to be leaning because they already knew the publisher already knew with like Woody Allen. They knew that's a controversial book. So who's doing all this leaning? Who's who's getting Ira to sue Craig and who's leaning on this publisher? Greg Maxwell, the same people that took over BTC <laughs> and screwed it up. The NSA. Greg is legit. Dre- Greg is legit. Like I still told you guys the other day, Greg and Adam Bag give me shudders when I like hear them talk or when I see what they write because it's so slick and and it seems like th- it seems like when they talk to Roger in particular. They like, it's like, there's like a, a hidden meaning behind their words. Yeah. Like they, they know they're lying and they, they're communicating something to Roger that's different than what they're saying or that that's not immediately apparent. And when I read Greg, when you, when you say Greg, like Greg Maxwell gives you the willies, is that a way of saying that 50% of all comments, uh, Redditors give you the willies? Cause I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's like half of them. Yeah, no, you can tell oftentimes, like you can tell it's him. You'll read it and be like, Oh, that sounds like Greg. And that's why it's become a thing to refer to people like that as Greg, whether it's Greg or not, or someone Greg is working with. I don't know. But when you I didn't know read that his, was a thing, that's great. When you real his, when you read his real account, the one that he's acknowledged is his, that alone is creepy enough. The stuff he will say, and the stuff he will suggest. And it's like, okay, like, like there's no way that this guy is, is because he spends so much time on Reddit alone trying to uh, screw things up. Okay. Okay. So, let's, yeah. let's wrap yeah, up. And, uh, let's okay, go and, ahead. TK on that note, if you look at the Satoshi affair, Craig rejects that book and doesn't like it. Did, did they sue them? No, not at all. Um, I think if this book were something negative and it was a gotcha moment for Craig, I think they would have been able to sell a lot of copies. It would have been very popular. Everybody in crypto would have loved the book and endorsed it to everyone. And everyone in crypto would have gathered together to support this publishing company if Craig and Calvin tried to sue. I think it's the other way around. I think it was positive. They backed out. Probably someone helped them see um, how bad this could look for them to support a quote unquote fraud. Let's, let's talk about the Satoshi coins as our, as our last topic. Um, yes. Because there's two, there's two conspiracy theories about the Satoshi coins that I find uh, interesting and, and potentially plausible. One is that, um, you know, Craig and Calvin, they're, they're not, they don't have access to those coins. Uh, they don't have the keys, whether it's because Craig is no part of Satoshi or because he just didn't have access or whatever. But they are, their whole plan is to do some crazy thing. That's why they forked off to, to take over the mining power to be able to like change the code so they can get backdoor access to that. And I know we've talked about something like that before. 
that seems interesting. That seems plausible. Uh, that would make economic sense out of some of this stuff, at least to some degree. And then the other one is that the BTC people, um, they are doing everything they can to set up a scenario where if those Satoshi coins move in any way that is unfavorable to BTC, um, they will not get pushed back from the community by doing something in changing the code to basically make that not possible. Uh, plausibility, thoughts on either of those or other scenarios? Said that, like, people, several people have said that, that, that I mean, I think Cobra Bitcoin has suggested freezing Satoshi's coins. Uh, Thamos has suggested freezing Satoshi's coins, and Thamos maybe knows, but um, then several people be sold or moved. I've also heard, uh, I have no idea if this is true, but I've heard that in the early uh, days, there was some bug or something where the transactions might not be even seen as valid or they might be insecure in some way on BTC. If I remember, I think it was Gavin and Dreesen talking about this. I, it was, I think it was a conversation like Gavin had with Greg. But he covers the find the reference I'm talking about, where they were they were saying that part of the reason Craig couldn't move the coins is because some some code changed um, after the fact on the BTC chain where he, they actually couldn't move them there. Put the other. I've read. I don't remember where it's from. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, I think it's plausible. I mean, the, the other thing though is we don't actually have direct evidence that Satoshi coins exist in the way. Let's just theorize that Satoshi has those coins. So that Satoshi ever had a million. I don't think there's like a list of addresses that were like, okay, we 100% know that these addresses are Satoshi's. Um, Well, I mean, we have the backwards from the initial blocks. You can go back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but we're not actually 100% sure how what which blocks Satoshi was mining or who the earliest right. miner was. I mean, now Hal says that he was probably the earliest miner and he mined block 78, but there's a mine before he mined block 78 as well. So I don't know. Um, it's really hard to say. Um, what do you think about the idea that, that Craig and Calvin are uh, putting all these resources together because they're trying to sort of get backdoor access to these coins? Well, I mean, I think that you would backdoor access to the BTC or to the BSD. Well, either, I guess I've, I've heard various, and I don't know enough about the technical stuff. I've just heard various people say that this is, this is one game they could be playing. It could be either for the following reason. One, like if it's on BSV, one of the routes they could, they could go is by changing the code such that they push invalid blocks to network. But another is uh, another possible scenario is that they have right. Maybe that's climate's hard drives, and somebody else, and they need a huge amount of uh, computer infrastructure to essentially try to break Satoshi's hard drives that could be relevant to the BTC chain as well. So like um, in one of those emails, Craig, man, I wish, uh, I forget he was talking with, he was, he was, I think maybe it might've been with Ira where he was saying like how long it would take to decrypt Dave's drives. Yeah, there was might, an email about. Yeah, yeah. So it might be that might be close to the truth as well that they have Satoshi's coins and like Calvin started just a bunch in infrastructure so that they could essentially be running SHA two fifty six hashes on uh, you know Dave's some set of passwords they think Dave Kleiman had to try to break the 
break encryption, something like that. But, but that, but, but okay. So even if that were true, uh, that and them wanting BTC BSV to succeed are not you know exclusive, right? Like they, right. it could be both. And in fact, in fact, it may, it may be the case that they, you know, if they're trying to get access to that stuff, that they fully do intend to dump the BTC. Um, I'm just trying to think because because like if they got it now and they just let BSV like they just like killed it off or whatever. According to everything they've been saying, like they would have like committed massive fraud like legal liability fraud um, and investment fraud by, by setting up like a sham operation, which they had, you know, no intention of, uh, of, uh, of continuing to, to, to succeed. So I could see it. If, if that were the case, I, could, I, I wouldn't necessarily see that as like a bad sign. For yeah. BSV. Like it, it, that just, actually, that actually may be a bullish sign for BSV. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anything where they, any, any scenario where they have access, they have the hard drive, whether it's Craig's or it's a stolen hard drive or it's Dave's. Uh, unless somehow Craig somebody gets found like criminally liable for stealing it and gets thrown in prison and end chains assets get frozen or something that could be bad for BSV potentially. But. I also think that's a possibility for Craig lying in court. This is another thing. It's so funny. The BSV people are like, they're so hook line and sinker. Every, Craig if he's not Jesus, he's at least telling the truth most of the time. And yet, in court, he's being called out for submitting forged documents and like lying in court. We're not a trivial problem. We could, this would be a horrible scenario, I think, for BSV. I really don't want it to happen. I don't think I want it to happen. <laughs> I, might, I might be persuaded otherwise. But Greg could really get legal, legal trouble here for these shenanigans in, uh, in court that are, it's not clear. Uh, what the master plan is when you're caught lying to a judge. Well, the master plan, if you actually had $10 billion in Bitcoin, the master plan would be, okay, I have no way out of this. So I'm going to lie and get myself perjured and go to jail for a couple of years or a year or, or get fined or, you know, and then, and then once, once it has been declared in court that I am not Satoshi and I was lying about it. Now I'm free of all liability. uh, Yeah. For for dumping the coins. Like, I don't know. If the court has ruled, TK, what's yeah. your, what would you tell it? You explain the mind of Craig. Well, I mean, he is in the position of the defendant, right? And, and he's in the position of someone who is being sued for a large amount of money. I, I would expect any person in that position, Craig or otherwise, to do the very best they can to weasel out of, you know, of an indictment towards that end. I would expect them to be very difficult in terms of like, not making it easy for the prosecution, right? Like, you want my money. You want to come take what I have. Like, do your work. I'm going to make it hard on you. I'm not going to make it easy. And, I, and so I think he's doing what is expected of him. But I, I, I would actually uh, object to the notion that he's been caught lying and submitting forged documents. The reason I say this is because I've been reading the transcripts and following along. And I can tell you, every time a document goes public, it looks like one side is clearly one and the headlines make it look like that too. And then when the next document goes public, it looks like the complete opposite. So even, even with the example well, you get, even with the example you gave, you had the judge make all those like damning, you know, uh, statements. Right. And then you have the next judge come back a couple of court documents later and vacate many of those things and sort of soften the blow on that. And I have to see how the actual trial goes. Um, to, to kind of really know who's winning and how this is going to unfold. Two words, rusty 
Staples. <laughs> Coffee stains. <laughs> Two words I was when at TK was damning. You pronounced the N and and soft soft tinning, was it? You like you pronounce the, the letters that are usually not pronounced. What I just why, heard that. TK's I, diction is very clear. Damning. I love it. Um, <laughs> All right, let's bring it home. What, what, do you, what, what do you want to throw out there? Final words. I want to hear Derek. Derek's going to say something. Oh, well, yeah. Um, I, I just think that um, I have seen I've, multiple times where so, like, a document will be circulated. Everyone's proclaiming victory. Like everyone says that Craig has been proven wrong. And then it comes out that that's not the actual document and it's been tampered with. So I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of around this whole thing what does core people have in circulating a document that has addresses on it that craig didn't submit to the court that was one example where they were saying that craig submitted certain addresses to the court and those were not the addresses that were submitted and that was like really odd to me and so when i evaluate this stuff i'm trying to put it all in the context of of you know all possible scenarios including ones in which the forgeries he, he is not responsible for them i don't know when I just read the court documents themselves, it's always like, okay, kind of just looks like a typical legal thing where this person's accusing that person, the judge is kind of back and forth, blah, blah, blah. And then if I read the take from either party on Twitter, it's like <laughs> yeah. every single yeah. element completely justifies that Craig Wright is a genius who's, who's Satoshi <laughs> or completely proves that he's a fraud. Why is anybody even listening? The case has been closed. So well, yeah, yeah. I, I remember listening to Calvin too. And there's an interview from several months ago where he's playing up the court cases. Like this is going his opportunity to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he, Satoshi. And then like last month, I, I, I don't know if it was on Twitter or I listened to an interview. He's like, oh no, we're not. It's, the court case is not really related to him proving <laughs> that he's Satoshi per se. But that copyright issued, uh, was it copyright from like Belarus or something or so, <laughs> some country that said that the that copyright of the white paper as, as written by Craig Wright. Remember that? They were tweeting something Oh, I vaguely that. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Bogota, Colombia issued from the, the city planning committee. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe right. that was he got like he got a badge. He got an attendance yeah. badge. That's like, that's like those certificates. Like, I, when I worked in the state legislature, you'd make like yeah. a certificate for like the, you know, the third grade uh, class yeah. that you know, <laughs> the capital or whatever. TK, what were you going to say, man? Uh, I forgot. Oh, oh, come on. You can't do it. You make us look bad. We interrupted you and <laughs> no, now you're man. just like, you know what, guys? No, Y'all don't look bad. Y'all don't look bad. <laughs> we need to give you like some extra bonus time since, you know, to make up for the previous episodes. All right. Well, I'll just say for my closing thing that I, I have learned a lot from Craig positively and all of my interactions with him online when he was around before he like either got off Twitter or rage quit were actually good. Um, I've, I've found him like, instructive like I, I i i disagree with the idea that he's been a toxic influence or at least that the toxicity brought the table hasn't been matched by other on the other side uh in, in big block day that's fair um and uh you know uh, i wish more people were able to to weed out uh the important things from the unimportant things um in evaluating what he's and, and you know yeah so i guess that would be 
Hey, that's that's great. I'll I'll throw on there. Just just like Bitcoin would be much worse off without Roger Ver, Bitcoin would be much worse off without Silk Road, and Bitcoin would be much worse off without Craig Wright. I think he he uh, brings a lot of interesting stuff to the table that's valuable. Even the controversy and the stuff that gets mixed up, uh, I think in the end is a net benefit um, as long as it you know doesn't go just too much into a distraction territory. But even then, it's entertaining and it's interesting and it's fun. So when nothing's happening with price or technology, at least we have some fun gossip to pay attention to. Yeah, it's it's definitely important for people to be able to separate the ideas from the person speaking them because Craig does have un- have accurately said before, the areas in which he's right are probably more important in the areas in which he's wrong. And he's right in the economic stuff. He yeah, seems to be right about locking all. And that might be all that matters from like perspective of whether or not the product, you know, the BSV is going to win or not. Well, in the areas in which he is there, so there, are, there I, I have three categories and how I label the stuff he says. There's stuff that I think is crazy, or no, there's stuff that I think is wrong. There's stuff that I think sounds crazy and could be wrong. And then there's stuff that I think he's right on. In the middle category, uh, a lot of times, I have consistently now found things where people who I think are way, way more tr- trustworthy or I, like Gavin or Mike or Hal Finney have all said the exact same thing that he's saying um, in, in a way that is much more palatable towards like my, uh, let's say libertarian sensibilities or whatever. Like, like even traceability, for example, when I want, when I read Hal Finney making an argument for traceability That's on crazy. the crypto anarchist mailing list or whatever, like that's insane, yeah. right? Yeah. But he he put it in the perspective of like I know how's I know how's an anarcho capitalist. I know he's not someone who who supports, you know, sending people to Thai jail, right? So <laughs> so to see how that was like allowed me to appreciate what Craig was saying in a much different light. Um, and so that yeah, I, I that's just what I, I I found a lot of those things that immediately seem possible to be maybe maybe worth reevaluating. TK, you get the last word of the entire session. That's how much we love you. If Craig Wright is who his critics say he is, I think we have a miracle that is even greater than him being Satoshi. (laughs) Because it would be a case of the, the bumbling idiot, the plagiarizing academic, the fraudulent liar, somehow outperforming all of these crypto OGs and being the one guy in the space understands Satoshi's vision and somehow assemble the talent coming out of nowhere to make this thing work. I think that would be amazing. But here, here's what I would say. So TK is saying he's either Jesus or he's super Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. He's, he's either Jesus or, or God has sent another. No, no. Um, <laughs> But, but here's what I would say uh, from my, my parting words. You know, I believe that knowledge is power, but there are, there are more ways to express the power that is knowledge than through argument and debate. One of the best ways to express that power is by generating results in the real world. Um, and I think I, I'll use an example. Um, go back and watch if you like MMA or if you can tolerate it. The first fight between Anderson Silva and Chairman. Anderson Silva is considered by many to be one of the greatest pound for pound of all time. And he had the longest winning streak for any champion up to that point. But Chael Sonnen just talked so much leading into the match. A lot of people ducked. It goes all the way to the final 
second. It goes to the final second. And the entire time, it looks like Chael Sonnen is absolutely destroying Anderson Silva. So much so that in the final 30 seconds, the announcers are beginning to praise Chael Sonnen and saying, well, he backed up all his talk. He did everything that he said he was going to do. He said that his mother was the one who went, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Oh, my God, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Anderson just submitted him. And it's like this unbelievable thing. And even though Anderson Silva walks away the winner, most MMA fans were still talking like, no, Chell Sonnen, I mean, Chell Sonnen won. I, he should have really did win because there was nothing that you saw optics that supported Anderson Silva winning. And yet in the end, he got the only result that mattered. You know, does he deserve to be the champ? Should he have been the champ? Did he cheat? Is it fair? I mean, who knows? There are a lot of debates you can have. But I, I think Craig is the Anderson Silva of crypto. And the whole time, the when optics is, when, look like... When does the bell ding, though? Because right now, I mean, <laughs> the optics are still, right? When is that moment that's always promised? It's coming. It's, it's coming. Seven, it's, it's coming. The Curry 2023. <laughs> hey, well, well, the trial is coming up pretty soon. The trial will go on forever. <laughs> Trials never end. The BTC happening. that's when it's going to be. Hey, hey, but I do believe, though, that I mean, this can go on forever, right? I mean, maybe BTC can survive with its poor economics until the next halvening, but doesn't it kind of have to be over at that point? We have to have a winner in, in five years or less. It seems to me we do. That, maybe that's a, a topic for another time. I hope so, me. but I'm, I'm, I'm impatient I've already. I've been wrong like, about that prediction so many times that I, I think I don't even want to make it. Yeah, I keep, like, waiting. Like, I keep waiting for the big thing, but hey, guys. But you think this, everyone have lost? Or there'll be one winner. I can imagine BTC surviving. Actually, I can just. I don't think BTC necessarily has to die. Uh, like, like B, BTC could conceivably exist as a sort of like, you know, limited network that the whole world doesn't use, um, but that has you know transaction fees that are high that pay for mining, and it's just not used for nearly as much stuff. I, I could imagine it doing something like that. TK, in five years, uh, I, I could so. I could see things being exactly as they are now. Yeah. I could. I hope not, but I could. I don't think that's any way possible. Not in five years. I think I mean, you say that because you've come to the crypto game late. Because 2015, I'm telling you, like Litecoin would have been left out of no eight years ago or whenever the there, heck There's your example. It, there's they, your example. They got it went to four hundred dollars. If Litecoin so. still exists as it is at the price it's at then literally anything makes sense. You know, like who knows? Well, How well, can you predict? You bought I, 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 five years ago and made a load of money. Which is still. crazy. You know, it was like pennies and now it's like 70 bucks or so or 40 bucks. I don't know, but it's like still, that's a huge return. Yeah, it, it seems to me though, that, that, that there have been more halvenings and, and with the next one, that, that drop is going to be so low. Someone's got to win the transaction volume game or just like, have some serious number go up, stuff go down, or something like that. I, I I just don't see how in five years there is not either a clear market leader or they're just all they're all just done. But, I but I'll, right. go, I'll go I'll go ahead and say it, man. In less than five years, you, you got me here. What's the date? Let's let's get it hey, on the record. You this know what? You're a, you got it to be a true member of the Church of BSV. 
you have two conditions. You have to make bold predictions and they have to not come true. So go ahead. <laughs> At specific dates, please. Like, like month, day, time, and year. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's now 318 by April 10th. By 318, Friday, April 10th, in the year 2025, BSB will be the clear leader over BTC, BCH, or any of the other competition in crypto. That's my prediction. 97.8% probability uh-huh. is that what it is <laughs> was that craig's number 98 i, I think something like that <laughs> something yeah. like that yeah. yeah that's that's my percentage <laughs> all right man hey looks like we already lost Derek. peace out guys all right peace. thanks guys